welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my co-hosts... Carol! Matt! Mel! <laughs> Once we're Hoopleheads, Hoopleheads no longer. I'm very excited for this recording, because we finally get to re-watch and re-discuss the pilot episode of Deadwood, which is why we all came together in the first place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted to listen to our pilot episode again but i just didn't have the like three hours to do that so (laughs) i should have thought of that earlier but i i didn't really get into the headspace until i was actually watching the pilot last night and then i was like oh i want to re-listen to uh our pilot episode and oh we should have had matt mel and carol and maybe myself do like a commentary like i thought of all these things and it was too late woulda shoulda coulda yeah when i started watching the pilot i thought to myself oh i'm having you know, in that it's a second viewing, I'm having different thoughts than the first viewing. And I remembered a lot of what I was thinking in the first viewing. And I was like, oh, I should be doing a commentary right now. <laughs> so yeah, it would have been fun. But yeah, I just didn't think about it at, at the time. I did listen to our episode zero, though, which is about 50 minutes. And ooh, it's pretty rough. Like I am <laughs> all over the place and my audio quality is not great. I finally uh, upgraded to a microphone, but before I was using just my gaming headset, and just it, the audio quality is not, not there. Content-wise, just messy, and yeah, we get better. We get better. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. But before we discuss Deadwood, I do have some network news. First, an update uh, on our previous conversation about the Mighty Eighth. Talked about that last time with Claire, sort of a what, part three of the World War II miniseries that started with Band of Brothers, then the Pacific, and we talked about the Mighty Eighth. Well, it's not going to be called the Mighty Eighth. That's what the screenwriter of the miniseries tweeted to uh, the blog HBO Watch. They said, definitely not called the Mighty Eighth. Might be called Masters of the Air. Might be called something else. Definitely not the Mighty Eighth. Why not? What's wrong with that? Uh, we'll have to take it up with the screenwriter. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Well, go tweet at him. <laughs> it might be a copyright thing or something like that. Maybe it's, there's something called the Mighty Eight back when. Could be. It's just not. It's not a great title. I like Masters of the Air. Masters of the Air is much more dynamic. There's mm-hmm. no two ways about that. But we know that it Hollywood like likes. A, no, go ahead. It sounds like a B movie though, or a or a low budget video game. <laughs> Some sort of Japanese anime. Masters of anything doesn't sound good. Masters think. of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> Case in point. <laughs> I think it's a little lyrical. I like it. It. I mean, the mighty eight could mean anything. So I. I mean, at least Masters of the Air gives you an idea that you're talking about aviation and um, people who are good at it. Not necessarily anything else. But, it yeah. should be called aviation and people who are good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a whiz at titles. Gotta give me that. <laughs> Why don't you t- tweet that to the screenwriter? Hey, I've got your title. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> I crack me up. <laughs> uh. Game of Thrones began filming its final season this month. The season will debut later in 2018, or perhaps even in 2019. It's final season before it's 13 different spinoffs or whatever. Yes. <laughs> and we'll see how well those are received, because I think people were excited for the prequel spinoff of Battlestar Galactica, Caprica, and then they watched it, and they're like, 
this isn't interesting. So mm. it's all in the execution, but it's going to be hard to recapture the magic of, of what people like about Game of Thrones. Yeah. It's the characters yeah. they've grown really fond of, and those characters aren't going to be in the new series. So it's going to, I think it's going to be a tougher sell than the network thinks, but maybe they have lower expectations. Maybe, maybe they know it's not going to be a mega hit, but they think it's going to be at least a sure bet in terms of, well, anything else they're putting on the air. Like it'll a keep lot also people subscribing. Yeah, a lot also might depend on how they approach it because, um, like Caprica, for instance, that was not supposed to be a Battlestar Galactica show, and you know it was kind of decided. Oh, let's make this into a you know let's connect this with Battlestar Galactica. Oh, I didn't know so, that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they they made it fit in with it, and of course. You know, a prequel to the end of the world, you know, is you kind of know how it's going to end. So it was it's a little weird, but uh, uh, Fear the and Walking it was such Dead, a different I, show. Fear the Walking Dead, I think, has the same problem, which is that because you know where it's going, you really have to care about the characters. And I don't think that show has any mm-hmm. characters that anyone cares about. Maybe I'm wrong, but I definitely don't mm-hmm. hear that that spinoff talked about in... Mm-mm. In the media and in, in the like online, the way I hear regular Walking Dead, mm-hmm. original Walking Dead talk talked about, yeah. it's it's on and people watch it, but I I hear no conversation about that. Right. And but I mean, part of the problem is that I don't watch either of them, and so I right. generally I, tune them out. But I I don't watch either of them anymore. Either. I, I do hear about the Walking Dead still. Yeah, when Supernatural tried to do um, a pilot a few years ago, it was really sad. I mean, it was horrible. Um, and in that case, they were only so tangentially putting it in that world. It was about a totally different thing, and the characters were awful, and the whole—it was just awful. And um, it's like, okay, this is trying to squeeze a show into another show. You know, it, you could tell that it had not been created in that universe. It had been created somewhere, and said, "Oh, you know what? We can." we can kind of push this into this universe to get this group of fans. And uh, basically everybody rejected it, and that was the end of that. The one they're doing now, where it's supposed to be, um, I think they're calling it Wayward Sisters, and um, they're taking characters that have already been introduced in the show and creating another show from it that will take place in that universe. And uh, it seems much more likely that that's going to fly. Well... Good luck to them. <laughs> I don't watch Supernatural. No, I know. But it also, interestingly enough, it also was a show that you heard about from fans saying, wouldn't it be great if they did this for a long time before somebody came up with it and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do this. So in some ways, it could have actually been a fan-inspired spinoff. Well, we'll see if the Which, fans support it or not. Yeah, exactly. I'm uh, apprehensive about prequels altogether, but at least uh, a world of ice and fire that George R. R. Martin created is very epic in scope. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. opportunity, but there's no source material. I, I think um, you know, like no novels to base things on, except for that Dunkin' right. Egg stuff, that short novel that he wrote. But they said that they're definitely not adapting that. So I don't, you know, good luck yeah. to them. I really brought up Game of Thrones just to mention that I've read they are recording or re- recording. They're filming multiple endings, shooting oh. multiple versions of the ending so that no one can really spoil what happens. 
So, nobody so they're did. just doing it to not be spoilery as opposed to some that have done it because they hadn't decided on an ending yet? According to HBO programming president Casey Bloyles, he says, I know in Game of Thrones, the ending, they're going to shoot multiple versions so that nobody really knows what happens. Oh, okay. Cool. Next news item, Mark Ruffalo is heading back to the small screen for a new project from Derek Cianfrance, the director, probably mispronounced that, the director of Blue Jasmine and The Place Beyond the Pines, the three-time Oscar nominee, will star in the eight-episode limited series I Know This Much Is True, as twin brothers Dominic and Thomas Birdsley, following the footsteps of Ewan McGregor and James Franco, who have recently played siblings in television projects, adapted from the popular 1998 novel by Wally Lamb. And I will read this description of the project from Entertainment Weekly. To leave out a lot of details and twists, I know this much is true, tells the story of Dominic and his twin brother Thomas, who suffers from paranoid schizophrenia. After an incident, Thomas is put in a mental hospital. However, Dominic doesn't believe it's a healthy environment for his brother. Through the process of trying to help his brother, Dominic begins to look into his ancestor's history and starts seeing a therapist to begin to analyze his own life from losing his only child to SIDS to how he feels about how he feels toward his adoptive father. Things escalate when Dominic learns of sexual abuse at Thomas's hospital and Dominic manages to get his brother released. And then it goes on from there. But uh, I know that the novel is very well regarded, that it's like this really thick, huge tome. It was part of Oprah's book club way back when Oprah had a show. <laughs> And they've been trying to adapt it in some form for a long time. A 90-year, a two-hour, two-hour-plus movie didn't seem like it was going to hold all the content of the novel. So the author is happy that it's going to be a it's going to be a HBO limited run series. So that's something that we'll watch, you know, eventually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Author and professor Nnedi Okarafor stated on Twitter, "My novel, Who Fears Death, has been." optioned by HBO and is now in early development as a TV series with George R.R. R. Martin as executive producer. Sources say the deal is not officially closed. HBO declined to comment, but I will tell you what the novel is about. It takes place in a post-apocalyptic Africa in which the New Roots tribe has enslaved the Okeke people and now look to eradicate them for good. An Okeke woman who was raped by a Nuru man gives birth to a daughter that she names... Oh, boy. Onyesanwu, which means who fears death. As the child grows, she develops magical powers, ultimately discovering that she is being targeted by a powerful force that wants her dead. That kid's name isn't Onyesanwu, is it? I think that's what I tried to say. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I know someone with that name. Really? (laughs) Does she have magical powers? Uh, It's a possibility. And her name is who fears death? (laughs) I didn't know that. Now you know. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to talk offline here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's interesting, though. Uh, where, is, where are they supposed to be from? Nigeria? Uh, it takes place in a post-apocalyptic Africa. It doesn't say, oh, okay. but I, I do believe that uh, the author is a Nigerian-American. All right. All right. Okay. Interesting. This story might be based on your friend, Carol. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Talk about a small world. (laughs) You never know. Yeah. George R.R. Martin says, The internet is blowing this story all out of proportion, at least in regards to my own participation. I will be an executive producer on Who Fears Death, but I will not be the executive producer, i.e. the showrunner. That is an important distinction. The spiritual successor to Hotel Room, which we previously Uh discussed, Room 104, 
by the Duplass Brothers, the anthology series that sets, that is set in that one hotel room, uh, has been renewed for a second season. Hmm. I haven't heard much talk about that one. It, nor have I. It's completely out of the conversation. Mm. Heard no, no thoughts on it. No, just no discussion. Like it, I know it's airing because there's something like 12 episodes, and they start. Well, it's probably off the air now. It started in July, but uh, I never heard anyone talking I about that. Heard any buzz or anything about no. that? No. Do you think there'd be something? As an anthology series, you think there'd be at least one or two episodes that, oh, everyone would have to talk about that because that was so great. But nope, nothing. Mm. In her review of the first five episodes for Variety, Maureen Ryan wrote, All in all, Room 104 is to be lauded for its adventurousness, but more rigorous attention to quality control could have made it more consistently enthralling. I I can guarantee you it's better than a hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) It can't not be. And The Deuce was also renewed for a second season. Okay, never heard of that one. Well, we talked about it before. We'll watch it eventually. Oh, it's uh, it's <laughs> oops, sorry. produced by David Simon of The Wire, stars James Franco and Maggie Gyllenhaal, chronicles the rise of the porn culture in New York from the early 1970s through the mid-1980s. The Deuce explores the rough-and-tumble world of the sex trade from the moment when both a liberalizing cultural, liberalizing cultural revolution in American sexuality and new legal definitions of obscenity created a billion-dollar industry that is now an elemental component of the American cultural landscape. It follows a cast of barkeeps, prostitutes, pimps, police, and nightlife denizens as they swirl through a world of sex, crime, high times, and violence, and the porn business begins its climb from mafia-backed massage parlors and film labs to legitimacy and cultural permanence. It's another show that is airing that seems to have no buzz because I hear no one talking about it. I've heard people talking about it. Really? What are they saying? Well, just seen articles about it. I don't know. I haven't really read them, but I've just seen people talking about it. I don't know. It's been, it's been in the air. I, I'm i terrible with titles, as we just talked about, and uh, I just didn't remember at all. And hmm. it, hasn't, it hasn't come up enough for it to enter my brain and stay there. Well, I knew about it. I just... Don't, I haven't watched it. Mm-hmm. It sounds so similar to that other HBO show, Vinyl, which was about the music industry in the 70s. I think the 70s. And that had very expensive pilot, a very expensive first season. And they renewed it, and then they unrenewed it. Oh. Yeah. That's just, always a drag. Yeah. So that this show makes me think of that one, but I guess this is better. But it's so similar in terms of kinds of characters, I think, and the time period. I'm not really excited about watching either of them. But of course we have to. We must. We don't have to. Oh, yes, we do. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, Matt. <laughs> You're and... self-imposed rules. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and finally, I want to talk about a show that HBO was going to make and then didn't end up making that is actually disappointing because it sounds really cool. So I'm going to read this article uh, from IndieWire. 2014 was a big year for David Fincher. Not only was the director returning to theaters with Gone Girl in the fall, but he also signed on to co-create and direct an adaptation of the UK series Utopia for HBO. Gone Girl author Gillian Flynn was set to join Fincher on the series, and the cast included Rooney Mara, but HBO pulled the plug in July 2015, and now we'll never get to see Fincher's Utopia on the small screen. The British version of Utopia was written and created by Dennis Kelly and ran for two seasons on Channel 4. The story involved a group of people who find a manuscript for the sequel of a cult graphic novel 
that was rumored to have predicted the worst disasters of the last century. Fearing the sequel predicts the next century of disasters, the group head out on a mission to save the world from mass destruction, all while evading an organization known as The Network. In a new interview with Empire Podcast, Fincher looks back on the failed project and reveals that it all came down to $9 million. Fincher teased how ambitious Utopia was going to be by saying that he was planning to have it released in the summer so that television could have a program to sort of rival tentpole movies in terms of twists and turns. The director thought that $9 million was required to pull, I'm sure that's $9 million an episode, was required to pull the series off, which is a number Game of Thrones didn't even hit until later seasons. Part of the reason the budget was so high was because he demanded to shoot the series in chronological order. Gillian Flynn wrote the scripts, and you know it's a road movie. They go from one place to the next place, they burn that place to the ground, they go on to the next place. It was inherently chronological. I've heard really good things about the British series Utopia. Have you guys heard of it? Nope. This is the first time hearing of it. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. I There's so much TV. <laughs> it's too too much. I I hear about certain British shows and uh, most of them go in one ear and out the other only because I know I just don't have time to track stuff down these days. Um, I used to do that, but not so much anymore. I'm just going to read this from Wikipedia about the original Utopia. The first series was generally well-received by critics, with some high praise for its striking visuals, but also expressions of concern about its violence. Aidan Smith of The Scotsman noted both its astonishing visuals as well as its astonishing violence, while Tom Sutcliffe of The Independent thought it thought it a dystopian fantasy delivered with great visual style, but was not convinced that its violence was necessary. Mark Monahan of The Daily Telegraph described it as a dark, tantalizing, mysterious overture, while Sam Wollaston of The Guardian called it a work of brilliant imagination, a 21st century nightmare that looked beautiful, but also wondered about the gratuitousness of its violence. You said there was a first series? How old was that one? It was released in 2013. Oh, okay. So and then second season was 2014. It is only 12 episodes long. And mm-hmm. yeah, I just remember hearing that it's very fun. It's really like it looks great. Yeah, I, I would like to track, track it down. All right. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. I think so. Are we ready to discuss Deadwood? Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the origin of our signature sign off this episode. <laughs> Yeah. It was just as great this time as it was the first time.
uh, hey, I've got a surprise for you. Well, it's really more for me, but maybe you'll <laughs> enjoy it. Maybe the listeners will enjoy it. A previously unreleased installment of Reader's Theater. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. Where'd it come from? It's something that I had Russell record way back when, when I needed um, like a backup in case someone didn't get one back to me. I had an extra one go out. And oh. I didn't air this one because it's a little, well, there's not anything in it that's really great. Oh. <laughs> Some musings, <laughs> what I call the musings, you know, just random kind of slice of life in the camp stuff. That's fun. And two little short articles. I'm going to post it in the Skype. I was sort of saving it for uh, that theoretical movie that still might happen. But <laughs> I figured, you know what, in the chance that it doesn't happen, I, uh, I better just play it now. And as a little surprise, and then if the movie does happen, I'll just have to find something else and get someone else to record that one. That movie's never happening. Uh, <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> you don't want it to happen. Learn I'm the lesson still... of Twin Peaks fans. Yes, I'm still seeing stuff coming out about it. Yeah. So yeah, I am too. I think it'll be better than Twin. It's got to be better than season three of Twin Peaks. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> don't jinx it. <laughs> We're jaded. <laughs> well, the mistake there was David Lynch. He is wacky. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll see. All right. Well, I'm going to post the uh, thing in the Skype so you can read along, and I'm going to play it now. Langrish Theatre tonight. Black Hills Daily Times, December 22nd, 1877. The condition of Patterson of South Carolina this evening is considered very critical. He today suffered a severe attack of congestion of the brain. His relatives have been telegraphed for. A great bill will be premiered at Langrish Theatre tonight. Aaron Apogue with Jack as Sean and Miss Chambers as Zara, other characters by the company constitutes a performance that cannot be excelled. H. Bishop was arrested by Deputy United States Marshal Eli and arraigned before United States Commissioner Dawson this morning upon complaint of one young for selling liquor without a license. Examination was waived and bail given. Runda Machine, Black Hills Daily Times, December 26, 1877. Try Gillette if you have any watch repairing. The best time of the season was made on yesterday by the Sydney and Cheyenne and Black Hills stage, the former coming in at 50 and the latter in 52 hours. Go to the skating rink, open every forenoon, afternoon and evening. A fist fight occurred at Crook on yesterday, after several rounds, one of the parties threw up the sponge and was conveyed into Valentine's store for treatment. The coaches of the C and BH stage company from Cheyenne are now arriving about 2 o'clock daily, showing a good condition of the roads and making quick and regular time. The pack train belonging to the battalion 3rd Cavalry encamped at Spearfish was ordered back to Fort Laramie on yesterday. The order, however, was subsequently countermanded. An alarm of fire was occasioned last evening by the burning out of a chimney. A couple of prompt firemen endeavoured to run the machine unaided and succeeded in steering it into the old Custer house. No bones or irons broken. Oysters! Oysters! Everybody goes to the Oyster Bay Lee Street where the bivalves are served up in a variety of style by Ed Warner's New York Oyster Cook. The thanks of the Times office are due to H.L. Young & Co. Storage and Commission Merchants, Main Street, for a beautiful Mackinac trout, and in as fine condition as when first taken from the waters of Lake Michigan. These are favours that an editor very much appreciates. Again, thanks. What? Mrs. Brearley, the estimable wife of our new Territory Delegate to Congress, E.C. Brearley, who is at present sojourning with friends at Jersey City, 
is anticipating a trip to Europe during the early part of the year to be absent the greater part of a year. The Times unites with her many friends in wishes of a pleasant journey and a safe return. Hillary, of candy fame, has one of the largest stocks of homemade candies ever in the hills. Everyone in want of good wholesome candies for Christmas should call on him. The Palace Restaurant, under the management of Gandalf & Co., has been refitted and refurnished, and will in the future, as in the past, set the most tempting tables in the city. Another Suicide, Black Hills Daily Times, May 22nd, 1878. Prospect Marquette, a French baker who has been for several months past operating in the bakery business in Elizabethtown, suicided last evening by taking arsenic. It appears from the evidence deduced at the inquest that the wife of Marquette had abandoned him recently and taken up quarters with another gentleman. Ooh. This so aggrieved Marquette that on the last evening about 6pm, he procured at the druggist three ounces of arsenic and returning home, mixed and swallowed it. He suffered from the effects of the poison until 3am, at which time he expired. The coroner's jury returned a verdict of death at his own hands by poisoning. It's funny that uh, in Rome, uh, the lady was, like, putting arsenic on her face to make herself pretty, <laughs> and now this guy is, like, killing himself with arsenic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Romans had all kinds of really unhealthy things that they were doing. I mean, the arsenic, I think, was part of her makeup. I think that's... Yeah. Yeah. Was... For yeah. sure. And, uh... Whenever Will and I record Spartacast, which is very infrequently, <laughs> um, <laughs> we... Or I try to bring in fun historical facts before we talk about each episode. And one of the things I remember is that Romans at least were smart enough to assess the quality of their water and like the safest, most drinkable water was used for cooking. Then after that, it would be, or rather for drinking and then for cooking. And then the least like safe water was like just for bathing. Yeah, except that unfortunately, indications are that a lot of the things they drank the healthy water out of contained lead. Hmm. Well, they tried, and, you know. They tried. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. They were being so careful with their water, and then they put it in, in things that, um, that's the upper class. The lower class apparently was probably a whole lot saner without um, lead poisoning. Well, they didn't have all those lead pipes. <laughs> no, they didn't have lead pipes. That's true. Yeah. They had a lot of stone aqueducts. Yeah. Which my favorite thing having come in, come across while researching ancient Rome for Spartacast is the the public toilets. They basically just had a rag and a stick and a bucket of water, and ev that was their toilet paper. And everybody used the same rag, and they just put uh, it right back in the bucket. <laughs> uh, so gross. Oh, so. It's Ugh. not. I'd bring my own. I think I'm going to use my own rag. Thank you. I don't want your bucket rag. <laughs> yeah, but if you're if you were raised in it, you just you know you just do you it. Just I know, but gross. Ugh. Just wouldn't see it. It's just like those pictures that you know they were just. Um, I was watching something about um, New York City, and um, hang on a second. Let me get rid of this that just started. Here we go. Um, New York City that. Uh, they went to a spring that is now in, like, Central Park someplace. And it was a major drinking spring, you know, back in the day. And they, f went, they were doing excavations, and they found the, the 
little pitcher thing that everybody would use to drink from the spring that was connected to the rock by a chain. And, you know, you just use that. Everybody would dip into the spring, drink out of that, and then just, you know, leave it there to the next person. And that was real common. You know, you'd, you, know, you want to drink from, you know, buy a cup of tea on the street? Okay, here, drink a cup and then hand it back to me and I'll give it to the next person. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. a, like a dog that keep, dogs that keep drinking of the same water bowl, like outside of a pet store or something. Yep. Uh, no. My dog wouldn't. He'd be like, no, I'm not, I'm not drinking that public water. <laughs> so your, your dog would never drink out of puddles? No, he he refused to drink out of things like where he didn't know where the water came from. You spoiled him. <laughs> oh, but he would pick up shit in his mouth, like <laughs> dead dead things or like bones and stuff. And I, and I, I would, you know, I would walk him frequently at night when the sun had set, because that's when it's actually, you know, decent temperatures in Arizona. And I couldn't necessarily see what he was doing, but he just seemed like he's taking a little bit too long at any one spot. And I would go down and, oh, he's found something and it's in his mouth. And I would pull it out of his mouth because God knows what that is. So you've ended up with like a dead mouse many a time in your hand or something? Uh, a couple times, yeah, like bones <laughs> and things. And I'd be like, I've told you before, stop eating things you find on the ground. But a water dish where like at the pet, park you know at the dog park you wouldn't drink out of it i'd have to take my own bowl and fill it with water like a bottle of water it's just too it's too dirty for me Ooh, is that bones (laughs) it's a weird little personal preference i guess i miss my dog yeah yeah how was he with cat poop (laughs) i don't think he was ever exposed to cat poop okay because they do love cat poop chowing down on some cat poop Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 I've read they'll a whole... eat their own poop. Yeah, they will. And they'll eat their own vomit. But um, Cats will, too. Cat poop, The um, there's actually a reason for it. Because apparently because cats need a very high protein diet, um, there's a lot of protein still in their poop when it like, uh, comes out. Jerky when you're... Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure for cats and dogs, it's not about taste. It's more about, does this smell nutritious? Yeah. Yeah. All and right. apparently cat poop All right. is All just right. a, <laughs> a lot right. of them love this that. This is quite the tangent road you're taking us down, Carol. <laughs> you you were the one that started it with the dog. Okay. <laughs> it's, all, it's always your fault, Matt. Apparently. <laughs> So going, going back to the that. Reader's Theater, I've never heard the expression throw up the sponge, but apparently it means the same thing as throw in the towel. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I would think. Makes sense. Yeah. There were some interesting grammatical things in here. But... Like the, like the uh, Hillary of candy fame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only candy maker. If you, if you, <laughs> have you heard of candy? Well, then you've heard of Hillary. <laughs> lock oh. her up. Lock her up. <laughs> yeah. Butter candy. Butter candy. I guess it's candy. Um, it's his candy. It's 1L. Yeah. It reminds me of the Reader's Theater that Claire read for us about uh, the candy store. Just still like the funniest. Listen, listening to Claire and all her Englishness trying to put on like uh, a southern accent. She can't do accents. It's so <laughs> funny. Uh, I recommend everybody go back and listen to that one. You can't Come. even say the difference between porn and pawn. <laughs> I'm just looking back through the anything else in this uh thing to comment on. 
Guess not. Yeah, that's probably why I didn't play this one. Because even though he, he, being Russell, did a really great job reading it, I just didn't... Yes, he did. Yeah. This was like the leftovers of everything else that I had put together. Just a bunch of curiosities. Yeah. Which is yeah. what a lot of the articles ended up being toward the end. Because when I got them from the, the Deadwood Library, I typed them up, and then I tried to put them in some sort of logical order of when they were going to be read on the podcast. If I didn't want anything... Like, let's say there was an article about Jack McCall or Wild Bill being shot. I didn't want any of those to be played before that happened in the series. So I kind of try to match things up. Like, one was about a schoolhouse in uh, Deadwood, and later on in the show there was a school. So I think I tried to have those on the same episodes. You know, the election for sheriff. I think I had, you know, I saved, I tried to schedule them where they made sense. And then after I split all the articles up, I still had episodes where I had nothing to play. So I would just go through them and look for any usable thing that, like, these little musings. Yeah, I mean, this includes LaGriche, so you would have probably kept it till the end. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again, Russell, for reading that. We appreciate thank you, Russell. doing history spoilers. That was a nice blast from the past. Wasn't it? This whole, yeah. this whole recording's like a blast from the past. I really enjoy it. I am shocked, really honestly shocked, that nobody wanted to be a guest on this podcast. I have heard from people since we wrapped Deadwood, they would write me and they'd say, I just discovered your podcast. I'm really enjoying it. I wish I could have uh, been around while you were recording it so I could have contributed in some way. Where are those people? <laughs> <laughs> you put the call out? I did. Yeah. In fact, I even in I guess I was naive uh, or too, just too optimistic. I said, like, I'm sure there's a lot of people who will want to be a guest. So we may have to do like a drawing for who's going to be the guest. No one volunteered. No one signed up. Maybe they just huh. didn't want to do the dun 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 60 second plot summary. Oh. Uh oh. Why do I always well, forget about that? Because it's ho- trauma. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's awful. <laughs> yeah, I guess I I just put it out of my. My mind. Yeah. Well, let's get it over with then. <laughs> yeah. All right. Are you volunteering? No. Ooh. Matt. Oh. You're talking about yourself, right? Nope. Talking about Matt H. <laughs> All right. So you've got 60 seconds to discuss as much of the pilot episode of Deadwood as possible. If you go over 60 seconds, you lose. If you go ridiculously under, you are a chump. <laughs> you are a squarehead chump. <laughs> so just, uh, I'll start the stopwatch when you start talking and when you just say when you're done, and I will hit the stop button. All right, best of luck to you, sir. Uh, we start off in Montana, and <laughs> uh, Seth Bullock is, like, leaving town or whatever, and there's a guy who uh, stole a horse and they want to, like, lynch him or something. And Seth's like, no, I'm going to lynch him. So he lynches him. <laughs> and then, But he does it in a nice way somehow. And then he leaves with his friend and they go to Deadwood. And uh, there's, like, a train of caravans that uh, get all gummed up on the road. And we get introduced to a lot of characters. And then they get into Deadwood and they want to open up their hardware store. And... Uh, we meet Al and his house of deplorable people, and but we kind of like them. And um, then a guy comes into town, and he 
lies about a family being killed by Indians and uh, uh, Seth and Wild Bill, former lawmen, are wary of him and they go out and they investigate and they find a survivor and then they shoot that dude. And uh, the end. <laughs> One minute, ten seconds. <laughs> a little in the weeds there. A little, a little <laughs> detail. <laughs> yeah. I think it's perfectly damn fine considering how much happened during this episode. Yeah, I, and I skipped lots of it. I'm yeah, sure it's it's pretty packed. Yep, it is packed. So, what was it like going back and seeing our, our characters? Some of them alive. Yeah, about <laughs> Wild Bill. I was excited to see Ellsworth and and Brom yeah. and Jack McCall. Well, not Jack. <laughs> I like watching Jack. Um, I like. I like Jack as a character better than the other character that Garrett played. Yeah, me. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. I, I had, I had different. You know, basically things like um, realizing what a a really good introduction of Seth Bullock that first scene is. How you know how strong the intros of the characters are. Um, how young <laughs> everybody looked. Uh, that kind of thing. It's a lot of that. Yeah, Far- the fuck, so Far- Farnham was barely dirty. E.B. Farnham, how do you do? Jolly other. You got some mighty clammy hands there, partner. Damp palms running my family. Uh, Al was was all duded up. Um, he had he had his hair, you know, like split in the middle with the with the little um, what do you call it? Uh, like waves that were very popular in guys' hair at the time, um, you know, the little waves on the side and pomaded. Split, yeah, split down the middle, you know, and uh, had a vest on, and and uh, he had a very kind of stereotypical barkeep kind of um, you know shirt mm-hmm. with the the uh, sleeves. I almost, I got the feeling like he had garters on his sleeves, but didn't look. I mean, his sleeves were acting like it, but I was looking for him, and they didn't have, didn't seem to have them on. But uh, I mean, he was really duded up. He, he was quite the dapper Dan. He was. He was. You that should. Uh, you should guest on Calavici Fashion Cast. You're really good at breaking down the outfits. <laughs> well, when they're in character, I'm, I don't know that uh, you know, like the uh, the ones where they deal with. Like when they on potential cast where they used to always be talking about Buffy's outfit and stuff, I I'm not good at that. <laughs> if it's if it's costuming and it has to do with the character, then I'm good. Right. Well, it's so it's easier to talk about the costumes and period things because yeah. otherwise it's just clothes. Like right. I mean that's why costume dramas always win costume awards. It's right. You, you could really say, "Oh, that's beautiful. That's really well done." I think I love the costumes in Outlander. It's one of my favorite parts about the show. Uh, the costumes and are you saying are you saying the '90s aren't period drama now? <laughs> I I guess because I wore those clothes, I don't feel like it is. <laughs> if, like, oh, if you're wearing cost- a hoodie and jeans or a plaid if shirt. Co- like, all right. If the costuming is is um, really headed. For- about character, you know, if it's um, if it's really speaking to the character and it's an integral part of the character, then I pay attention to it. But if it's, as you say, if it's just clothes 
even if it's, I mean, if it's 90s, it can still be a major, you know, part of the character. But, I mean, but uh, some things, not so much. Some of the, like, background information that I recall we previously discussed when we were talking about the show. The costume designer said Seth Bullock's frock is all buttoned up like a suit of armor because mm-hmm. he thinks of himself as kind of a modern knight. And Alma's robes are very, like, loungy mm-hmm. because she is in an opium haze. Yeah. Those are They're two, all two of the costume notes that I, that I recall. Yeah, I you could really notice how lush they made Alma's um, lounging uh, dresses, though. I mean, mm. they were, they were uh, opulent, to say yeah. the least. Well, she doesn't have to wear those kinds of uh, structured g- garments that she will wear in later episodes, because right here, she doesn't leave the hotel room. Right. She and it also... Headaches. It, yes. Yeah, womenly headaches. She can't it leave. Also sp- yes, absolutely. And it also speaks to their wealth. Mm. Um, I had forgotten that Ellsworth started started the episode. That, yeah. I mean, the, when you get to Deadwood, he's one of the first people that... I think it took me a few episodes before I even like, could pick him out of the crowd. <laughs> I knew him dirty, this super, one. Yeah, I yeah. knew him from Supernatural, so I recognized him pretty early. Good old Jim Beaver. Yeah. Eight ounces of gold with twenty dollars an ounce is one hundred sixty plus ten dollars for a half ounce makes one hundred seventy total. Inform your dealers and whores of my credit and pour me a goddamn drink. Honor and a pleasure, my good man. Hundred and seventy credit, Dan, for Ellsworth. Oh, yes, sir. One seventy for Ellsworth. I'll let everybody know. Plot four: some hardware guys. First one today with this hand. And pour me another, my good man. Here comes another. Lot four, Steyer. Wagon loaded with goods. Now, with that limey damn accent of yours, these rumors true that you're descended from the British nobility? Descended from all them cocksuckers. Well, here's to you, your majesty. I'll tell you what. I may have fucked my life up flattered and hammered shit. But I stand here before you today beholden to no human cocksucker and working a paying fucking gold claim. And not the U.S. government saying I'm trespassing or the savage fucking red man himself or any of these limber dick cocksuckers passing themselves off as prospectors had better try and stop me. They better not try it in here. God damn it, Swearingen, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. But I enjoy the way you lie. Thank you, my good man. You're welcome, you conniving, heavy-thumbed motherfucker. Watch out! It's her Derringer. I warned you about that loopy cunt. Keep your own tally. Have no fear on that score. This is a good opportunity for me to reiterate how much I love Alma. I love that (laughs) character. She has one of the best arcs on this show. Even in this episode? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, you can see how she is really trapped in that room. Mm-hmm. And all she does is look out the window. And the slightest thing that seems to scare her forces her to retreat back to her laudanum. After she sees that gunfight, she's like, I can't handle this. So it's really fun to see how, you know, her origins of the series, that she's this trapped, self-medicated, frightened woman, and will gradually leave that room, leave the hotel, 
then really become uh, an entrepreneur in the town. Yeah. And also that, you know, she's, you know, when you talk about her being trapped, I mean, it's so clear. It's one of the great things about the performances on the show. Um, it's so clear that she has the same opinion of her husband that everybody else does. And that, you know, from a distance, she recognizes that, you know, he's just been scammed out of, you know, out of his money. And it's like, okay, I'm just going to have some more to drink here because there's nothing I can do about it. Oh, well, I felt bad for the the poor guy first to get scammed. And then he's like all proud of himself before he goes out. He's like, you know, look at me, wake up and look at me. I want to want you to know mm-hmm. how cool I am. And then she, yeah, she pretends to be asleep. Mm-hmm. Which is in a way better than trying to lie really, you know, badly or something. I mean, she already was, gave him props for something that was pretty obvious. She knew was not something that he'd serve props for. So, yeah, poor guy. He's such a jerk. <laughs> that actor is just so incredibly versatile. Mm-hmm. He really has done everything. I don't know if I recognize him. Oh, really? He's He's been in so much stuff. But he he he's such a good character actor. He um he does look different in different roles. He um did you ever watch Psych? Yeah, a little bit. Just or actually just one episode. Just the Twin Peaks okay. episode. Well, he was he wasn't he the one that uh I didn't watch the show either, but um I saw it once or twice and I'm pretty sure he was the guy who um was the cop who gave them a hard time all the time. He was like their their um foil. Okay. That you know, so he was a a comic character on there that is you know not doesn't do so great. He's um I did not see the musical um that was just on uh Gallivant. What was it? Gallivant. I didn't see that, but he was the lead on that, right? Or one I of the leads. He was, yeah, one of the leads, yeah. I didn't watch He was one either. of the leads. I don't know if he was the lead or one of the leads. He played um Cain, as in Cain and Abel, on Supernatural uh, a season or so ago. Definitely a different role than this one. Um, he was a real, mm-hmm. real badass in that, in that one. I think he was doing that at the same time he was doing Galavant. You know, it's been a lot of stuff. <laughs> Banish all headaches. Spit in your hand, Alma. What? Spit. I'm going to show you something. I promise you'll tell my mother about this. I bought it. We own a gold claim. This is how we sealed the deal. And then did everyone dry their hands? Do you know who I was bidding against? Farnham, who owns this hotel. Oh, and where was your secret agent? Dan Doherty. He was tending bar. No one realized how that Dan had helped me reconnoiter the claim. Al Swearingen runs a saloon. He was intermediary. He brokered the deal. Driscoll, the cellar, legless with liquor. You will have a vivid entry for an article, and I've told you all the details. Yes. I've already begun to imagine it. It's a near thing till the end. I had to go all our 20,000 to turn Farnham away. Oh, well. I'll have to write the bank to renew my credit. Of course, they'll contact Father. Well. 
I expect that's inevitable. Wild Bill Hickok is here. I'm sure he's going to prospect too. I never disliked Brom. I mean, his he's ignorant, maybe a little puffed up, a little entitled, but probably a decent enough bloke that if Alma wanted to, she probably could have had a she could not, you know, a decent marriage. I think. Yeah, like he's he not a- he's not an espousal abuser or anything. He doesn't sound like he has an, he has any addiction problems. It's just yeah, I think I think it's really hard to be married to someone who you not only don't love but also have absolutely no respect for. Well, it's just incredibly stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he might be upper class or whatever, but he didn't seem to be like snooty about it. Like he enjoyed conversing and making deals with these folks and stuff. Yeah. You're just having a good time with all of it. <laughs> but it all depends on what you value in a relationship and she obviously doesn't like it when her partner is stupid. So <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, could she have perhaps convinced him that her opinion was worth something? Maybe. Maybe she tried and you know, it was made clear to her that, you know, she was just a ridiculous little woman who wasn't to be, you know, she shouldn't be bothering to be trying to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. I'd say the two other female characters that get the most screen time in this are Jane and Trixie. Mm-hmm. It's something new that I noticed that I just had never really picked up on before, and I've seen this pilot, like, this is probably my sixth or seventh time. When they show Jane just doing her whipping, it seems so unnecessary that she's whipping, It, I, but I think it's a subtle hint to the viewer that she is a very boastful character. She's very, she's like all bluster. And so she's whipping because she's good at that, but it's not really serving any purpose in that moment. She's just doing it because, hey, look how uh, impressive and kind of butch I am. When is One of the guys, one of the guys. It happens at the beginning when they're, the wagon train is stuck. Uh Uh-huh. But they just show her doing it like kind of in a space where there's no point to it, except I think that they're just, trying to very subtly demonstrate that that's kind of who she is. It's kind of obvious even when she's in the bar later and she's looking for Wild Bill and they tell her that he left without her and she's like, well, I'm going to go do that on my own because I can. I'm capable. You know, like it's it's so obvious that that's her thing. Like she's, you can see right through her. Right. (laughs) Another thing, having seen, you know, there's a lot that having seen the entire series going back to here gives you a different perspective on. And uh, one of those things goes along with the whole Jane thing. When Wild Bill um, says to her, um, she says, oh, do you want me to go, you know, get get a bottle for you or something like that from, you know, find one in the camp. And he's like, no, no, I know what your persuasive elements are. and We don't want to hurt anybody today and, and all of that. The first time I saw it, I definitely thought that was an indication that Jane was kind of dangerous and unpredictable and so forth and so on. Um, but after watching the the series, I like it looked like David Carradine was just stroking her ego and like telling her you know, like you would tell a little kid, you know, oh, it's okay, I, you know, I know that you, you know, nobody would be able to resist you, so 
why don't you just not do that? Um, you know, I know you're dangerous and, and all of that. So I just got a different perspective on it. And kind of Bill seemed to be building her up a lot and telling her what she'd like to hear and her own vision of herself. Which she likes. She likes him. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. She has stars in her eyes. A lot of she hero does. worshiping happening there. Yeah. That was definitely clear the first time I saw it. And it was clear that, you know, Bill was not necessarily interested in pursuing that, but also was throwing her a bone. But I, I guess the first time I saw it, I didn't realize how many bones he was throwing, mm. as opposed to when he was serious and when he was just being like, oh, okay. Yeah, we know you're powerful and and all of that good stuff, so. Same damn wagon that broke down yesterday, Bill! That's the holdup, huh? Same wagon and no damn room to maneuver. Sounds like it's tighter out there in a bull's ass and fly season. <laughs> How's your headache? Not bad. You want me to canvas for whiskey? That's all right, Jake. Believe me, we're stuck here a fucking while. I know your canvassing techniques. I don't want any casualties on my conscience. It's only Wild Bill Hickok you got stalled here in the muck! You ignorant fucking cunts. And I love the relationship between Jane and Charlie. She really, she really doesn't like him. She gives him such a hard time. Yeah, he's he. She thinks of him as the third wheel that's coming between her and Bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely um, jealous of him. Yeah. Did we ever find out who's been like traveling with Bill the longest or whatever? Oh, I'm sure we talked about it on the podcast, like the the chronology of it all. Do you remember in real life no, or in the remember. show? In the show. In the show. So I think in the show, the indication is it's probably Charlie. And that Jane is has this tendency to disappear and do her own thing. But I don't know. Did we? I thought we, talked, we talked about, about, about when We talked they, about real life. Yeah, we talked about when they got to the camp, like the timeline of everything, and who was in the wagon train. I could probably find it in the notes i think this but you were talking about like before the wagon train right who was traveling with bill before like how long what kind of history they had is that what people were asking yeah, i was just to? wondering if her jealousy came from charlie being around first or whatever yeah. i don't remember in real life it's been a while since i did that research it's it's somewhere in my notes yeah you know what was surprising was um oh what's her name is it ruby no uh, Ruby, not Ruby. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's a Ruby in here. Doesn't she have a, 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 a uh, the gimp? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. What's her name? Um, Jewel. 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 Oh, you were like, close. where are you Emerald. going? <laughs> Emerald, uh, Sapphire. Okay. What's her name? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, okay. I know I she's like, got a stripper name, but which one? Yeah. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Basically, I was like, "What? I forgot she was like an arms dealer." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had forgotten that too. Al's, you know, Al's little looks, and 
you know, the whole interaction between he and Trixie felt totally different this time with, you know, having the background of what his relationship is with Trixie. Um, the whole thing felt so different than it had the first time. Um, Because the first time I remember being, like, really wondering if he was going to kill her or not. And then whether she was going to kill him and, you know, um, all of that. But his very subtle, you know, his very subtle looks and uh, and everything that uh, the actor was doing was so much more obvious this time. Because I wasn't all concerned about the plot, per se. And I was able to just really watch the characters and uh he was just he was just pretty amazing well the original plan was for him to kill her wasn't it yeah i seem to remember something about that watching the scene though between al and trixie just it made me think of the finale when he sacrifices murders another whore working girl at his establishment uh his name i can't remember right now but uh, murders her to save Trixie. Mm. Yeah. It's an interesting way that the show's premiere and finale are bookended. Mm-hmm. Al's relationship to the women who work for him. Well, I don't think he has that relationship with all of them. Well, certainly not with the one that he murdered. Right. But the one that Johnny was sweet on. But that's part of, Jen. you know, when you say his relationship with the women who work for him. I'm, I didn't mean relationship as in he was in a relationship with all of them. His yeah, I mean... relationship they, to them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. he had some kind of relationship, and that that being willing to pick one of them to die was part of his relationship to those women, you know? That, that he had that life and death kind of say-so over their lives, no matter who they were. Hmm. I think I have the answer to the Charlie Utter Calamity Jane question. Okay. At least according to this, it implies that Calamity Jane was with Wild Bill Hickok before Charlie Utter. It says here, uh, depending on which record you look at, Charles Utter was born in either 1831, Wild Bill Hickok, Calamity Jane, Madam Mustache, Dirty M, and their working <laughs> girls. I want to change my name to Madam Mustache. <laughs> no, so, mustache. so, so the that, resent- impl- that implies <laughs> that. No, go ahead. I was just say, yeah, so the resentment comes from her being replaced, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Or somebody getting too close. Not, maybe not replaced, but getting too close to him. Well, also Certainly that you wish, replace her. Also, also that you wish that you were a guy in a way, and mm-hmm. you're not a guy, you know. And this and Charlie is, so he gets to be the bros with Charlie and not really with Jane. Yep, because she has a vagina. They have a, they have a, <laughs> they have a dude night every night. Yeah, you can't be yeah. bros with a. I vagina. think the show tries to suggest though that Charlie and Bill are extra close because of that scene where Charlie goes into the number 10 saloon and is telling Tom Nuttall you know I want let's have an arrangement where he gambles at your place but then any of his winnings you put aside for him and his wife his new wife like he's setting up a uh-huh. retirement a retirement fund for his friend which I don't think right. that somebody who kind of just met a person would do 
like really take right. ownership of that? Comes to look for business opportunity and sits there losing at poker. Is he having a bad run? I can't see that far. You'd have to see back to Cheyenne. He lost his patience. Stays in hands whether he's holding cards or not. How's your crowd in here tonight, anyway? It's all right. It's better than all right, and you know it. You can see that damn much. Bill Hickox and that's at the any salute, and it joined he frequents. You agree with me on that or not? You got a say in that? I mean, as far as where he drinks and gambles. I suppose I did. Fifty a night if he'll frequent here exclusive. Fifty. What a sport you turned out to be. You quote a figure. Well, let's come to one understanding. Any figure I would have come up with, part of that you give to him to uh, gamble or piss away how else he's going to do it. And that'd be the only part he'd know about. I'd work with you. rest you give to me to uh, hold the trust for his future. That'd be your affair. Listen to me. That man's recently married. He needs to put a stake together. That's all I'd be in this for. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the implication in the in the show is that they've known each other for a while and that Charlie is, you know, somebody who looks out for Bill's better interest. Because he also talks about um, gambling in another town that, you know, he started back at the other town. I don't remember which one. And uh, so it made it seem like this has been an ongoing thing and he's been part of, you know, Bill's entourage for a while. So that might be a, a historical difference that they chose. Son of a bitch. Man said I might get a prize. I paid 50 cents for this bar of soap. There's a $5 prize in a wrapper. <laughs> Where'd you buy that soap at? Man standing right over there. Front your game. Away from our tent. Something else I noticed, even in 1876, people are ending sentences with unnecessary prepositions. Because someone goes, where'd you buy that soap at? Yeah, that's pretty common. <laughs> I just thought that was a modern thing. I just thought people... No, that's were, part oh, of the I dialect. Mean, yeah. none, well, I mean, none of the way they speak is period accurate, is it? We like, That was a big thing about this show. A lot of it is not, but I mean, I'm pretty sure adding that preposition... Um, is not modern. That is one Pretty of my sure. pet peeves when people, where are you at? You could just say, where are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just sounds so yeah. dumb and unnecessary, redundant. It's a dialect thing, though. Yeah. It's, it's Where'd my cheeks common. go at? It's very common in certain parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Certain cultures, yeah. could go into a whole thing about dialect. But, um, yeah, what else do I have in my notes? Let's Oh, I'd forgotten what a jerk the newspaper guy could be. When he's talking to Bill, and um, and he, I don't know, he says a couple like things that were just stupid to say, and kind of put it in your foot in your mouth. And he didn't seem to be trying to do it in order to get a rise so he could have a story. He seemed to just be totally unconscious of of what a jerky thing that was to say. I'd forgotten about that. He doesn't have any, um, he doesn't, he lacks social awareness. Yes, which for a newspaper man is kind of weird, but, um, oh, I just had addict Alma. You know, we hadn't seen her like that for a long time. 
I, I, I'd also forgotten that the preacher was in the very first episode here. Oh, he was, yeah. He, left, he, was, left, he was another one that's alive. He left for the whole <laughs> season, didn't he? Yes, huh? he does. Al kills him in the season one finale. Thank right. God. Mercy kill. <laughs> I like him. I, I remember you didn't like him, Mel. He was quirky. He's just creepy. He's quirky. He he's out. not creepy. He's very yeah. quirky. No, he's not creepy. He barely blinks. Not creepy <laughs> at all. I remember that. Uh, I remember describing him in our pilot release as uh, too earnest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the weird. He's just so weird because I mean, some of the things he said, I've. You know, I have known people that are liable to say things like that, and it always affects me exactly the way it affected Saul and and Bullock. You know, where he's like, "Yes, friends can be." Um, a, I forgot what he said, but you know, like a boon when you're you know lonely without family or before you see God or something. And it's like I know from personal experience. It's like, yes, that means you've had a friend. I would hope so. You're a grown man. Yes. <laughs> I've heard of these things. Friends? Emotions? Yes. I I had a friend once and I know and that's how I know that yes. you know they can be very good to have. Maybe he's a space alien. <laughs> Disguise probably. Hello, fellow humans. <laughs> yeah, there's there is something uh inhuman about him like he's just it's just like he's just starting to learn how to be a person my uh, wife and children are in louisville kentucky i'm 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 saving to bring them out days i dig on the the foster's water ditch and and nights i watch folks as goods like i'm going to do for yours schedule like that mr smith seems like you have them here in no time and then sabbaths i preach christ crucified and raised from the dead I'm from Etobicoke, Ontario. So you were born in Canada? I come to Montana when I was 17. That's when I met up with Mr. Starr. Is that so? I was born in Austria. Austria? Wonderful where people come from. Well, I was born in Austria, and I, I grew up in Chillicothe, Ohio. And, and, and then you partnered with Mr. Bullock in Montana? That's where we partnered up. The, the, the Lord is our final comfort, but it's a... It's a solace having friends. I know that from past experience. But of course, now we know he had a brain tumor, so uh, so that could be why part that of that could be part of his whole, you know, why the way so he presents weird. himself and yeah. and everything else. Yeah. So you know, but to me, when I see that, like at first, it just strikes me as be someone that's overzealous about everything, and it's just. <sighs> It's annoying. <laughs> and he is overzealous about everything. There's, yeah. That's very true. But aren't you ashamed now? I mean, me? No. he was overzealous because he was sick, Mel. I don't care. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Whatever. Um, it's no, just no. a show! <laughs> uh, oh, Tim Driscoll is another one that's still alive. At least until the... End of the episode. Yeah. Who's Tim Driscoll? Tim Dis- Driscoll is the Irishman who... Oh, right! Brom Garrett buys the claim from. The actor will later play Shaughnessy on the show. Yeah. And you know that it was... It was... What's-his-name that should have gotten killed for that little piece of theatrics? 
but uh, I don't know. It was was uh, it part of Swearingen's plan all along to kill Driscoll, Driscoll so that he would be out of the way when uh, when Brom found out that his his uh, mine was oh probably no loose yeah, ends probably. and all that. Yeah, probably because then he would be able to give him his money back. And yeah, that's got to be a fine line to walk uh, when you're scamming people to uh, decide who, who out of everybody you work with, who gets to live and who you got to take out. Because if you take out everybody, you have a reputation for not nobody would want to work with you. Right. <laughs> so it might have been that that Driscoll was going to, you know, go away and live off his his uh, money away f- for a while till Brom was taken care of um, or Brom went away or whatever. But uh, could Swearingen trust him after the fact that he already showed that he was not going to follow directions? I don't know. This was this was bad Al Swearingen. We don't like this version. <laughs> no, we, like, we don't. We like him when he's uh, still cur- curmudgeon but nicer. Yeah. Puppy Al. I still, I would have preferred this Al Swearingen throughout the whole series if it meant that Psy never showed up. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think he was that bad. No, well, after... He's bad, but he's not, like, you know, no now that we have perspective. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. exactly. No, you're absolutely right. And as I say, a lot of the subtlety of it, I mean, you were able to concentrate on this time because... You weren't kind of overwhelmed with trying to figure out what in the world, what is this world we're suddenly in, and and what are they saying, and what's the plot, huh? How many different wheels are turning? Let's pause the conversation to read Harold's feedback. Oh, Great. Mel, I'll have you read this. Oh, sure. <clears throat> Rewatching the Deadwood pilot, what stood out was the dialogue, especially the little turns of phrase, like... Did that give you the vapors? <laughs> it is, it's little things like that. How they take simple conversations and use these colloquia- colloquialisms <laughs> to inject all these flavors and shadings, which creates something that is uniquely Deadwood. The other thing that impressed me was the great way in which the show established its time and place. It's a place where people seem to have one pair of clothes that they wear and wear as it accumulates dirt, bodily excretions, you know, where it rips and frays and stays that way, where everyone and everything must reek, and where whiskey must be consumed regularly to make things bearable. Mm. Before my rewatch, when I thought of the pilot, I mostly remember the opening scene in Montana, not much else. So going back, I was impressed by how much plot they crammed into one hour, introducing so many characters, plus all the stuff with Driscoll, selling his gold claim and the murder of the Five Heads family. <laughs> on the dark, uh, on the negative side, my god, this show is such a dark, dirty, and unappealing look. Maybe that jumped out at me because I just binge-watched the NBC show The Good Place, which is all bright and colorful. But wow, what a difference. I give them credit for making this version of the West look more realistic than it does in most Hollywood movies, but it is probably things like the look of the show and the difficult dialogue that kept it from becoming a popular success. Mm. Yes. Yeah, it is a pretty dark looking show. Maybe they just hadn't figured out the lighting yet. They try to use a lot of natural light. Yeah, I, I agree with them about like the pacing and how much they crammed in there, and uh, it really worked. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. There was a lot crammed in. I had forgotten how much how much plot there was. And we're going to get to Rome, but just to briefly compare the two, I would find that Rome is pretty crammed full of stuff too, but feels mm-hmm. very messy and hard to follow. Really? I, did, I didn't I, find that to be the case. But. No, me neither. I I still had a hard time following Deadwood, but that could be because sometimes I, I tend to... When something in the story happens, I tend to stop listening and focus on that part of the story, and then I lose track of what's happening. <laughs> the characters move on without the characters you. move on without me, and then I'm still stuck on one thing trying to figure it out. And then I'm like, okay, I don't understand what's happening anymore. What's going on? So that happened to me a couple times, even during this pilot episode that I had already watched before. I was, again, still confused about certain things, so... Since you're watching on tape, do you ever just stop it and go back and replay, you know, the last few minutes or something? I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Right. I did that uh, for Rome <laughs> during the Senate scene. I was like, ah, hmm. uh, I tuned out. I had to rewind this for five minutes and rewatch this and really pay attention to it. Yeah. And we'll get to again. We're going to get to Rome, but I, my real problem with that show is that I feel like its two main characters are barely in it. <laughs> Yeah. In the um, pilot. In the pilot of Rome, yes. Yeah. Uh, Polo and Verinus, they're like Yeah, you're bar- not it seems like sure they're barely that- they're barely in it, but I know they're like the main two characters of the show. And in right. this one, we get plenty of Seth and Al. Yes. Yeah, that's so, true. So that's were the main characters in Rome? Exactly. The two, the two guys that were like horseback riding together and they Is it them? Like, yeah. The yeah. two soldiers end up being although I mean Well, it's understandable. It does follow- it does follow. Rome is one of the few HBO series I have seen all the way through, um, and it does follow a lot of different characters. It's kind of a Roman upstairs, downstairs. If, if you know I, that series from yeah. back in the seventies, I, I think it's um, understandable that they did that because I mean you're dealing with big historical characters, you know that people are going to want to see them too. So I feel like you kind of have to give equal time to all these characters. Yeah, they it's a stratified society and so they give um they do have a little bit of every strata. Um they even deal with slaves to some degree, not as much as they deal with, you know, the others, but we should probably stick with Deadwood for a little yes. while until we actually um, go to Rome. Yeah. You know, it's because of Rome that we have Deadwood because David Milch was wanting to do a series about cops in Rome in the time of Nero. And HBO said, we already have a show about Rome that we're going to going to do. And then he's like, Oh, well I'll have to find another idea. That's when he decided to do Deadwood. So because of Rome, we have Deadwood. So if anything, it gave us this. (laughs) It's interesting that Deadwood ended up coming on before Rome. Yeah. Only by a year, but it must well, have been the this, this scale of the production was so so big. I, I would think. Because, I mean, Rome is... I mean, as as expensive as Deadwood obviously was, Rome looks like it would be, you know, ten times more expensive. And I still think it looks cheap. <laughs> really? Yeah, I do. Oh, I maybe don't it looks it was... Maybe it looks good on Blu-ray, but... Oh, I don't have it on Blu-ray. I had it on my iPad. <laughs> but, uh... I didn't think it looked um, well. We could talk. I always, about yeah, I always, about yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I think that means we're kind of done talking about Deadwood. I mean, if you want to hear us talk about this pilot episode for nearly three hours, you can find our original recording. Do are we doing quotes and stuff? 
Are we doing quotes and stuff? I wasn't planning on it, but if you have any, you could share them, I suppose. I, I noticed some that I had not remembered at all. Okay. Um, like there was one where um, when Hickok is in the bar, and I think it was a newspaper man or somebody starts going, getting all poetic about, you know, uh, the bosom of his family or something like that. And just over on the side, and it's you just barely can hear it. Hickok looks at somebody and says, "Does bosom mean tit?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And somebody says, "Yeah, yeah." Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> which I had totally missed the first time around, and I was just, just like, "It's funny that they don't know what bosom is, but they know all these other like complicated words." <laughs> you know. Yeah, I actually am kind of surprised about the bosom thing because bosom yeah. was used a lot. It would have been more common, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty common word, but it still was, still thought it was fairly funny. Um, used in poetry, <laughs> he's not a yeah. Fan of um, I don't know and if I we, thought, I don't know if we ever even said that Wild Bill, if Wild Bill was even literate. Mm. I don't know. You I think, don't Bill, know. You think was Wild Bill literate? Yeah, I mean, he wrote that letter to his wife. Oh, that's but he true. had someone dictate it for him, like he could have dictated no. it. No, I think he wrote it. He definitely wrote it. Um, that's a good point. Mm. But how how literate was he? I mean, as far as how educated was he, I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember. Um, at the very end when... Um, it seems like one of the things that shows the difference between um, Wild Bill and Bullock and also would cement Wild Bill's appreciation of Bullock was um, at the very end there's an exchange after they've they both shot the the guy who who had reported the uh, the murder of the family and Bill says was that me or you Montana Bullock says uh, my money'd be on you and it's and Hickok looked satisfied I was so distracted by a certain actor's line delivery <laughs> <laughs> I what didn't notice it. I still don't notice it. All right, all right, that's fine. Yeah, I guess I'd done my duty, and I was, uh, I was glad enough to help. Stick around, see if she lives. No, I, I was uh, glad enough to done my duty, and that little one be in my prayers. Get down off your horse. You listen to me. I'm an innocent man. If them Indians, goddammit! Too much ransacking. And too many goods left behind. Someone was after money. Goddamn, if I had something to do with what happened, why'd I come to this camp, huh? Maybe when it got thick out there, you ran. Maybe the others was going to ground, but you had to have pussy. Or get to a Pharaoh layout. I felt that way sometimes after a kill. Get down off your horse. Or face the consequences. You or me, Montana. My money'd be on you. My point about that line that I was saying about Hancock, uh, Bullock and Hickok was it had been established earlier that Hickok got all bent out of shape when McCall was saying 
that he outdrew him and he made him repeat that he didn't mean that he outdrew him with a gun but outdrew him with a third eight and it was obviously a sensitive subject so when Hickok asks Bullock whether he thinks it was Bullock or Hickok who actually killed the guy he's asking him you know who drew fastest and the fact that Bullock without you know caring very much seems to you know immediately say oh you know my money'd be on you so do you think uh wild bill if seth had said oh it was me while while bill would have been like say that again motherfucker (laughs) he might have been or it might have simply been like the end of their relationship right because Bullock would have been putting himself out there as somebody with an ego about his his ability <laughs> to draw and as a competitor to Bill, yeah. as opposed to somebody who really didn't have an ego about it. And it's like, you know, well, you're probably faster than I am. I mean, you're Wild Bill, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I don't really care which he one def- of us. He deferred to his elder elder in that situation. Yeah, and he didn't seem to, it didn't seem to be something that he had to think about or that he really cared about one way or another. Right. And that, um, with the way they set up Wild Bill and everything. The would work make, is its own reward. I don't need any glory. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, we just got the guy who, you know, he's dead. That's the important thing. I really don't care how it happened. Please take the glory that's fine with me um but it it sets up the rest it sets up the relationship for later on it makes and it just seems like that would was like the binding thing that that sealed it for wild bill okay yeah this guy's all right so now i'm done okay (laughs) sorry (laughs) no it's 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 fine um but is there anything else that anyone wants to say before we move on no. no, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Now I know words circulate. Indians kill the family on the Spearfish Road. Now it's not for me to tell anyone in this camp what to do. Much as I don't want more people getting their throats cut, their scalps lifted, or any other godless thing that these godless, bloodthirsty heathens do, or even if someone wants to ride out in darkest night. But I will tell you this: I'd use tonight to get myself organized. Right out in the morning, clear-headed, and starting tomorrow morning, I will offer a personal $50 bounty for every decapitated head of as many of these godless heathen cocksuckers as anyone can bring in tomorrow with no upper limit. That's all I say on that subject, sickness rounds on the house. God rest the souls of that poor family. And pussy's half price, next 15 minutes. Oh, we do rate things. I forgot. We do we do oh, rate that's... things and we answer the question, would you watch another episode? Well, <laughs> no. That's not answerable. <laughs> it's ir- irrelevant at this point. <laughs> but uh, who wants to give us a, a rating? Hmm. <sighs> So hard now. Part of me wonders what we rated it back when. Yeah, I'd be interested. Uh, I liked it a lot. Um, 
it was very well structured episode of television and I'm not the hugest western fan but yeah I, I enjoyed it um it was good to see all these characters again some of the ones that uh don't stay till the end and versions of other ones who do stay to the end uh so I'll give it a 9 out of 10 clean farnums <laughs> I liked it and I and there was a lot more I was able to pick up a lot more subtlety now than the last time. Um, at the same time, you know, it's still got a ways to go to get to where it, it really, what it can be. Um, I want to say an eight, but I'm going to go with eight and a half out of ten. Um, withering Swearingen looks. Hmm. Yeah, I liked it too. It's not... Uh... I don't know. I didn't. It's not. I didn't love it as much as some other episodes. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a decent um, establishing episode. Of establishes the characters, and, and there's things that I enjoyed in it. Like I forgot how awkward Seth was. He's <laughs> really mm-hmm. awkward when he's advertising his wares. It's so delightful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. Um, so I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10, uh, titty bosom. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think this is a pretty solid pilot. It's not, not my favorite episode of the show. It's not my favorite pilot, uh, even of the pilots that we've seen so far. I think it's a very smart decision to open with that scene with Seth Bullock and show us this one character, like really spotlight him. And before we like get into the chaos of meeting a whole bunch of other people, at least he's mm-hmm. our anchor, and I. it's really hard for me not to compare this to Rome, but I didn't feel like we got to really spend a lot of time with any one person in Rome, and I really knew that person. But I know who Seth Bullock is because the the pilot decided, hey, we're going to spend five minutes with just this guy, and I mm-hmm. appreciated that. But then, you know, just like barely getting a glimpse of Alma, I, I know what her story is. I know who, who the doc is, and Jane, like... And Charlie and Bill, like I, I, I know who these people. Not just because I've seen the show multiple times, but it's really deftly handled. So I really appreciate that. And I think the pilot packs in a lot and moves at a pretty good clip. There are things that still irritate me, but overall, I think it's pretty successful. So I, I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten. A nine out of ten free pokes with Wanda. Mm, <laughs> Wanda. <laughs> um. I can bring up our ratings from the original pilot and see how that compares. Sure. Okay. So, oh, I I only gave it a seven and a half my first go around. I think I was not comparing the pilot to other HBO pilots, but to other episodes of the show. So I only gave it a seven and a half. Carol, you gave it an eight. Okay. Matt gave it an eight. Mm-hmm. Mel gave it an eight. Yeah. So Mel was the only one that was consistent. All ah. of us liked it a little bit more this time around. It's a very yeah. rewatchable pilot. I always find thing new things to appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was it was funny because I said I was tempted to give it an eight, but I was gonna I upped it to eight and a half because of the uh, things I saw in it this time that I didn't see last time. So actually, that makes perfect sense.
let's move on to our second television series for this podcast. And that is the HBO series Rome, which originally aired August 28th, 2005. It was a co-production with the BBC. The budget was $100 million. That's over $8 million an episode. HBO spent $85 million. BBC contributed $15 million. And it ran for two seasons. First season was 12 episodes. Second season was 10 episodes. And we can get a little bit more into the, the detail, uh, you know, the background of the show. But before we move on, let's just recap the pilot episode. And we're going to find out who's going to do that right now as I spin the, spin the wheel. I really hope it's not me. I really hope it's Mel. Why? <laughs> Why would you do that? She's your friend. Yeah. But it's Carol. I thought it was going to be me. <laughs> I knew it was going to be me. Mm. Phew. Okay. Well, good. <laughs> Glad it's not me. So, you I'm know the rules. Me. You've got yeah. 60 seconds to tell us as much about the pilot of Rome as possible without going over. If you go over, you lose. But if you go way under, and I know that for you, that's not going to be... not not That's not what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but if you did, you'd be a chump. Uh, just, well, I, you know, I, think about, I like... Think- I where, can think of ways to be a chump on this. I can think of ways of being a chump on this. All right. All right. So I will start the stopwatch when you start talking and just say when you're done. I'll hit the, hit the old button. Ready? And, well, you you tell me when you're ready. Take, In the pilot of Rome. Oh, yes. Here we go. In the pilot of Rome, um, you have the upper classes, Julius Caesar and the cast of characters that used to from all the classics. Um Pompey and uh, and Mark Antony, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, you're following that whole political situation. Julius Caesar is in Gaul. Um, Rome is upset with him. He's been there for eight years. Meanwhile, you also have this this pair of a centurion and a regular soldier. You're dealing with they're up in Gaul with uh, with Julius Caesar and going through the wars. By the end of the pilot, they've come home. And you're seeing life more through a soldier's eyes. So you also have Julius Caesar's family, who is also in Rome, who's scheming and having to do with plotting um, in the politics of Rome. The end. Whoa, 58 seconds. That is pretty damn close. You win. Congratulations. All right. I'm going to take credit for some of that win because I I cautioned you. (laughs) (laughs) You took some good advice. I was tempted to like really cut it down to almost nothing. You know, it's the classic politics of Rome. Watch I Claudius and uh, <laughs> with some centurions thrown in. Uh, what were your thoughts of the main titles? I thought they were reminiscent of Deadwood to some degree. I mean, at the very beginning, not through the mm-hmm. thing. That, there was something about the music that was slightly reminiscent in a Roman way as opposed to an old West way. Mel was completely disgusted by uh, human this whole culture. Si- this whole this civilization time. is just disgusting. I just can't. I can't. <laughs> well, I can't. well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably why we stopped watching the show in the first place. Because yeah. we had started like way back when it was airing. Someone gave us someone that we know gave us the first season of Rome on burned on a disc. So we started watching it. And I was like, I can't. I can't do this. <laughs> Mm. These are horrible people. 
That's our, uh... Like, really horrible. Like, I know some people in Deadwood are horrible. That's our legacy as humans. Romans so horrible. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, let's crucify this guy so that he tells us about this golden eagle. Oh, he tells us? All right, take him down. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at, least they, like, at least they at took least they him took down. Him down, but still, they took like, him down. The too long, don't read version of the pilot. Put him up, take him down. Yeah, and did you see the guy just about roll his eyes when I know, he's like, told oh. him to take him down? It's like we just got him up there. Like they have to choose the most complicated way imaginable to torture someone. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it was oh, the why thing. do they only do crucifixions during sweeps? <laughs> <laughs> But it was the Roman way. It was a common Roman, you know, torture technique. It told, it, you know, showed everybody. I mean, here are all these people hanging there, you know, and going through. Yeah, exactly. And doesn't that mother and her kids remind you of the Lannisters? Yeah. <laughs> the Lannisters? Like, they're exactly who, like the Lannisters. <laughs> who were the Lannisters? From Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. Oh, okay. From Boobies and Dragons. <laughs> well, this is basically uh, 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 I don't know boobies and laurels. I don't know. <laughs> Roman politics was ne- not a pretty. You guys are so good with the alternate titles. <laughs> boobies and laurels, <laughs> a show about <laughs> Romans. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Roman, the Romans were brutal people, but. Yes. So were everybody else at the time. Wow. It was it was a brutal world our ancestor lit our ancestors lived in. Yeah. And somehow or another our huh? Did it have to be? Probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Couldn't everyone have been nicer to each other? <laughs> no. Nope. Somehow our ancestors lived through it. I know. It's crazy. We all had ancestors living through all of these horrible times. Maybe not in that particular place, but it wasn't good anywhere. You know, these this nowadays people like they're not as tough as back then. That generation, <laughs> they were really tough. That yeah, the Romans' greatest generation. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I'd say the most obscene thing is the fact that they take slaves. Yeah, mm. and they tattoo their names on their heads. It's like yeah. that Pom- Pompey guy, like he had like his name tattooed on that slave's head. Did you notice? I think the most obscene thing was the fact that um, you could do anything to a person considered lower status than you. Yeah. And women were lower status than anybody within their status. Legionary Titus Pullo is a hero of the 13th Legion. But look at him now. Justice knows every man's number. He has committed a terrible sacrilege, and he will pay for it with his life, as will any man here who breaks the law. Brawlers and drunkards will be flogged. Thieves will be strangled. Deserters will be crucified. Couldn't they just put the slaves' names in, like, a, a lanyard and put them around their neck? Like, they had a go with the tattooing. Instead of tattooing. Well, you yeah. know, you could take that lanyard off your neck. <laughs> There's a point I, to that. Sew the lanyard into their skin. Oh, that's even worse! I know, that's no, that's no improvement. I would think that the slaves that were tattooed with their with the names... 
um, were probably only extremely valuable slaves to very prominent people. Well, that's he, that's a just, guess. He just sent his most valuable slave to his death. Mm-hmm. One of my notes is too many slaves is a glut on the market. Hashtag ancient Rome problems. <laughs> <laughs> what um, do we do with all these slaves? Oh, heavy sigh. Well, I mean, he, not have them. <laughs> it it was a what the slave was going to do was a very undercover kind of a mission. So he needed somebody he could trust, um, and you know, so some of these people. That's what it was. What they and, and have he, the slaves do is just run fresh water to the poop stick bucket. <laughs> some would I'm actually kind of surprised that they did that because they did have running water going through the toilets in Rome Rome actually had toilets with running water yeah they had a whole sewer system Yeah, and they, were, they even had a goddess goddess of the sewers I can't remember the goddess's name but and they had that uh, was that Minerva? no, no. they had um, they had that kind of systems all through wherever they set up shop all through Europe. And as they were, as they started retreating from those areas, the local populace had no interest whatsoever. Cloacina was the goddess of the sewers. Say again. Cloacina. Cloacina. What a thankless goddess job. Yeah. When they're passing out jobs to the goddesses, uh, goddess of the sewers. Oh, yeah. thanks. Thanks so yeah. much. Yeah, definitely not the favorite daughter of somebody or another. Mm-hmm. But um, the first season yeah. depicts Julius Caesar's civil war of 49 BC against the traditionalist conservative faction in the Roman Senate, his rise to dictatorship over Rome, and his fall, spanning the time from the end of his Gaelic wars until his assassination on the 15th of March, 44 BC, the infamous Ides of March. Against the backdrop of these cataclysmic events, we also see the early years of the young Octavian, who is destined to become Augustus, the first emperor of Rome. The second season chronicles the power struggle between Octavian and Mark Antony following Caesar's assassination, spanning the period from Caesar's death in 44 BC to the suicide of Antony and Cleopatra in 30 BC. Well, originally this was going to be a movie then or a limited-run event series, but then they decided to make it a full series that was going to run uh, six six seasons? Five or six seasons, and, I, and I'll tell you how they were going to break it down. This is from the show's creator, Bruno Heller. I discovered halfway through writing the second season the show was going to end. The second was going to end with the death of Brutus. Third and fourth seasons would be set in Egypt. Fifth was going to be the rise of the Messiah in Israel, but because we got the heads up that the second season would be it, I telescoped the third and fourth into the second one, which accounts for the blazing speed we go through history near the end. Mm. I do remember, I didn't watch all of this, but I do remember they go to uh, Egypt in the second yeah, season. They- so that was supposed to be seasons three and four. So yeah, season season two being even shorter in episodes really sounds like they burned through plot in that one. Yeah, they did. So yeah. is Cleopatra in this series? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Did they do um, the the stereotypical like ridiculously beautiful Cleopatra when she was probably not actually she was that kind of like plain looking? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. People seem to have indicated that she was she was something else. Yeah, but... brown nosers. Well, when up. you look <laughs> when you look at the statues of her, it's just like 
Oh. She's <laughs> she just looks like a regular lady. I don't know. Mm. Well, you know, personality counts for a lot, too. Yeah, for sure. And that's one thing about these women of Rome. Good grief. I mean, the stories, and some of them were really horrendous. And But in order to survive in that society and all, you had to be really manipulative and clever and ugh. <laughs> it was yeah, it was that's bad exactly what that's exactly why i was like i did it to civilization it's awful it's just a big old uh, just a big game the actress who plays cleopatra is lindsay marshall linked to some photos in the skype okay huh that's interesting i like her short haircut yeah because because then she wears wigs on top of that like crazy like cord wigs it looks like she's mm-hmm. got a pile of cords on her head <laughs> Yeah, I'd say she like they didn't go for like the sex bomb. Yeah, stereotype. just went for like yeah, she's pretty she's, but not like uh, like, like she doesn't look like a weird blow up doll or anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for the photo because I can't remember what she looked like. But um, the original oh there we go the original Cleopatra was uh, I mean she was Macedonian mm. she wasn't she's was part of um, the ruling class in uh, Egypt that had been left there by. Um, what's it's the great uh, Alexander the Great? Yeah, it works. So very expensive show. Does this look like eight million an episode? Uh, that last shot was that impressive. gold eagle was one million. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, pretty fancy, <laughs> fancy thing on a stick there. Got to get that and back. All those, all those slaves. Those must have been expensive. Yeah, <laughs> they had to buy all those slaves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. They had to ransack all those villages. They had to kill a bunch of kings, yeah. like Gallic, Gallic king, kings. Like that's insane. Well, they they oh, had to run a campaign. They had um, a lot of extras and stuff, especially in battles and and so forth that they had I, to clothe. And I felt the battle scene looked really small because I've seen some great battle scenes in Game of Thrones, and that one looked teeny tiny. Yeah, well, it was it was small. There's no yeah. choice about that. Um, I know they spent a lot of the, their budget on sets, Roman mm-hmm. villas, the Forum, mm-hmm. all, the, all the slums. But we don't get to see the slums in uh, this episode because we don't get to – I know in the second episode, Polo and Varinus go back to Rome and Varinus is reunited with his wife. Mm-hmm. And they get to meet uh, Polly Walker's character, you know, the – the mom, the you know the little kid gets to come home. I remember the second episode being a step above this. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like they could have like uh, left something, made it tighter somehow. Mm. Yeah, they might have been able to. I mean, it's they're dealing with really complicated history um, in a bunch of different venues. I mean, Deadwood had a set. They had a street. Mm-hmm. And then they had um, a saloon interior and an office interior and a hotel room, you know, and that was pretty much it. Everything was that street. Whereas in Rome, they're dealing, trying to deal with battles in France and an army. Um, and I would think that was also training and stuff that had to be done for these guys. Um, right, but I... And then you had Rome... Then you had traveling between the two. As you say, you had the forum and the... I had forgotten that the slums didn't come until 
the second episode because I watched a little of the second episode this morning, um, but I ran out of time, so I was going to watch the rest of it. I just wonder if we if we needed every scene that we had this episode, or if something couldn't have waited. We, did we have to meet every character that was going to be on the show, or could we have postponed their introduction to a subsequent episode? And could we have spent more time in Rome and less time in Gaul? Could that have been a flashback mid-season or something? Because I don't really, know. I don't know. I just I didn't like the structure of this. It made me very it moved very fast compared to Deadwood. If you weren't in Gaul at all, then you weren't going to meet. Um, the Centurion and the other soldier. Um, you weren't going to have Octavia get captured and have them rescue him. So all you'd have is the politics. No, I don't want of... that. <laughs> exactly. I take it back. I take it all back. Yeah, Maybe exactly. that could think, have waited. Some, something. Yeah, I think I would say that would be more to have something wait than than the other. Um, I would rather it's. If you had to cut out something, it seems like it would make more sense to be with Julius Caesar in Gaul and the Centurions and have everybody coming to Caesar and just introduce them as they showed up in Caesar's life. But then you're going to miss some of the machinations of, you know, but you might be able to introduce that later. And I know that when this, because this is a co-production with the BBC, that when the BBC aired like the first three episodes of Rome, they like cut it down to two episodes, which really upset oh. the show's creator. Because oh. he felt like they were trying to hype up the sex and violence, but took take away the political stuff. I would have gotten rid of the opening narration. I'd rather glean that information from the drama that's happening in the show itself. I don't really want, I didn't need that preface. Yeah, the preface seemed unnecessary. Was, I, I appreciate I was, it. <laughs> You appreciated it? I always appreciate it. A nice uh, preface or preface or whatever or prologue or just something that puts me in like it prepares me for where we're going. And like I don't like just being thrown into things and like have to figure it out on top of like have to figure out the overall world on top of having to figure out the individual scene I'm in. And and trying to remember which character is who. Because it's all a bunch of white people. (laughs) (laughs) They all look the same. White men, white old white men, yeah, yeah. I got, I got the feeling from that that open narration, the prologue, the preface, or whatever, that um, I almost felt like that was an add-on. Somebody said, "You need people are going to be confused. You need to add this." Um, And maybe they were right, maybe they were wrong, but yeah, it didn't seem it didn't seem like it was part of the whole it seemed kind of pasted on yeah that said it did tell us that pompey and caesar were supposed to be friends and were supposed to be on the same side which did come in handy to know in the dynamics because it wasn't made all that obvious in the well i thought the, the scene they- in the senate when he stood up to and it yeah. Caesar yeah. made me made me think that he, they were on the same side. So I was a little yeah. surprised at the end when it they it was revealed that he is a, a traitor. But who is he? Pompey. Okay, it depended on how you looked at it. Oh, as I to, su- suppose he's de- both of them are being accused of being traitors by different people, and we do know that Julius Caesar does do a lot of the stuff they say as far as 
undermining the Republic because he does take over and become a dictator mm-hmm. and and usher in the Empire. And he ends the Republic. So, yeah. It, there's definitely two sides to that issue. He wants to buy himself a crown. Oh, he wants to destroy the Republic and rule Rome as a bloody tyrant. That's right. Therefore, I move that Caesar's governorship in Gaul be terminated immediately, that his armies be disbanded, and that he be recalled to Rome to answer charges of illegal warfare, theft, bribery, and treason. Very good, Cato. Full of vim and verve as usual. Caesar has been generous to the people because he loves the people as I do. It is the people that rule, not you fine noblemen. It is Pompey's soldiers that rule, not we fine noblemen. I'm going to save us all hours of useless clamour and use my consular veto on the honour. I do not. I do not. I wonder, though, if the narration would have been better if it was framed like somebody writing a letter. Like, let's say Varinus mm-hmm. was writing a letter to his wife or something, telling mm-hmm. her about, um, assuming that he could write and, and read and she could write and read. But let's just say for the sake of the argument that they could. Like, if he could have written, like, about the context of the show to her, we could have gotten both the exposition and a little insight into his character and his relationship with his wife, who we don't see yet. So, like, something like that, I think, could have been a little bit better. I just wanted to spend more time with him and with Polo because I know that that they they are a fun duo and you get a little bit of it when they're riding uh in the horses and they're kind of bantering but yeah that's so brief that is like a minute or two of an Mm -hmm. hour pilot i could have really i could have spent the entire episode with them and then filled in the shading of the other characters and the politics later like let me invest in someone first it's so busy going from place to place, and I don't really feel like it ever landed anywhere. Yeah, I mean, Except I that one moment. I definitely can understand what you're saying, and um, I remember when I first saw the the show. It took me a while to realize how important the two soldiers were going to be in the story. The second episode is titled how titus polo brought down the republic you can it says right there in the episode title like these guys are central to Mm -hmm. the show they're gonna like force gump their way through history these fictional characters Mm -hmm. we're gonna see them interact with julius caesar we're gonna see him see them interact with mark antony octavius yeah it's it's interesting that um Octavius, I recognized his name and everything, and just the fact that he was so prominent in the pilot, it made me say, hey, wasn't Octavius, Octavius became somebody. Who did Octavius become? And I think I ended up looking it up. It's like, oh, he became Augustus. Whoa, okay. Um, but, I mean, there, there are, like, clues of who's going to be important and stuff. But, you know, if you don't really know your you know, Roman history, which I don't, I know a little bit about it, but, um, yeah, Roman history can be 
really confusing to navigate mm-hmm. through. And I kind of agree with you that it wouldn't have been terrible to um, to not introduce all the politics in so clearly in the in the pilot and just they could have stayed in Gaul and they could have you know done it all through. No, I, I don't. I well, I Caesar and it's called Rome. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's called Rome, and it's they. That's where they seem like they spent all their money on these elaborate sets and like the slums right. and stuff. And right. we didn't even get to see any of that in the right. pilot. Right, and so, and if it's the pilot, the thing about the pilot, if was this a pilot or was this the first episode? Because there's a okay, difference. Yeah, there used to be a very definite difference. And if this was the pilot, then yeah, they had to go to Rome. No, no, I believed it. It was it's episode one. It, it's episode they one. They weren't filming as a pilot. Like we're going to see if this works, and then okay, whether or not we do more. Though I imagine they. I mean, maybe they they looked at it and then they would retool it. Because they yeah, did that with Game of Thrones. Like they were going to make the show no matter what, but they wanted to keep tweaking it until it was right. Yeah, because if it was if it was a pilot in the classical sense of the word, they had to introduce pretty much everything and and you know show where this show was going to go. I so, think in this case, yeah. spending so much money on on this, they really need to put their best foot forward and to show an audience this is where we spend our money. Like, check it out because it's. You know, it was promoted as being one of the most expensive shows ever made at its time. And, you know, you tune in, you want to see the money on the screen. If nothing else, you want to see the spectacle of it. And, yeah. I mean, you could probably, you could tell by my tone I didn't like this very much. But I do know it gets better and bigger and faster. Oh, yeah. Possibly too too fast. It sounds, because it sounds like they took four seasons of story, or three or four, and compressed it into ten episodes. Yeah. Bigger, better, faster, more orgies. (laughs) <laughs> there are uh, there are plenty of orgies. Yes, not there as many is. as in the Spartacus. I can assure you. <laughs> okay. Um, Find us at Spartacus dot com. <laughs> when you were indicating you didn't like it, I was wondering if if it was the brutality or what. Because I mean, Deadwood is brutal, but you know, Rome is a whole lot more brutal. No, I'm fine with that. <laughs> That's fine. okay. Yeah, I don't mind if people are... I don't mind. I don't mind that. It, the, constant, the constant raping and, and such is fine. For me, it was that I, I wanted to spend more time with Titus and Polo, or Titus Polo and Lucius, I think his name, Varinus, you know, mm-hmm. the guy from Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Um, and we who, didn't. Who, and I know I we will like in Grey- subsequent episodes, so it's kind yeah. of... Yeah, I, well, I will When he on. showed up on Grey's Anatomy, he was the guy from Rome for me. Yeah. Kevin McKidd. That's him. Mm -hmm. Good Scottish. I think he was in Train Spotting too. Not sure. He was in a he was in a few things. Funniest line was when Polo said that he was part Ubian because he went to Twenty Three and Me and he had that little DNA test done. (laughs) I think I'm part Ubian. You write well, almost as well as me. Polo, you will address me correctly, almost as well as me, sir. Me, I'm a natural. My father was an Ubian, probably. Where did you learn to write so nice? Please yourself. Only trying to be pleasant. My mother's people raised horses in Mutina. Mutina? Near Red Gym, up around there? Up there. Good country. Listen, sir, thank you for taking me on this job. A noble way to make amends. Amends? For getting me into this cack by calling me names. Think nothing of it. Never. I won't forget. Titus Pullo never forgets a favor. Ha! What do you mean, ha! 
What do you think our chances are of finding the eagle? Thirteenth never fails, eh? Little or no chance. The eagle might be anywhere. Buried, melted down, sunk to the bottom of the sea. We are hunting a black dog in the night. Not finding the eagle is much the same as losing it. We'll be disgraced. Now, I chose you because you are disgraced already and condemned to die. So you weren't making amends at all, then? Well, in effect, you are dead already. The loss of one drunken fool does little damage to the Legion. If I'm dead already, then, sir, you should take care how you speak to me. If I've got nothing to lose... What's to stop me cutting you into little gobs and riding off, eh? What's to stop me, sir? Well, if your honour as a soldier of the 13th isn't enough, then I'll have to rely on my superior fighting skills. Superior fighting skills? Hmm. Very good. I have no idea where Obia is. Anybody know? Nope. Nope. <laughs> I don't even Germa- remember that line. A Germanic tribe. I remember the line. I At the time, I was like, hmm, where is that? That's a Germanic tribe? Yeah. Yeah. Has anyone 23 in Mead? I have. No. Yes? Was it worth yeah. it? Yeah. Or um, do they give you very generic things, like you're 5% or it's, you're it's, vague? It's fairly generic. What was interesting was I had asked my brother if he would do it because I was trying to save money. And um, the male, uh, as, a, as a female, I can only get like mitochondrial DNA and stuff. Whereas my brother can get both mitochondrial and the paternal line. And I was trying to save money. So I was like, why don't you, you know, we'll, we can split the cost and you get it. But he immediately got bigger and was like, no, let's, why don't I do it and you do it and our mom do it. And then we'll compare and see how it works. And it did, I couldn't get my mom to do it, but um, my brother and I did it. It was interesting because um, his came up with... A different percentage of um, of DNA from different places than mine did, which makes sense because you get half your G- DNA from you know each parent, and it's not necessarily the same. You know, but there were very specific differences. Like we always knew that there was uh, Native American in in our family, but mine came up a hundred percent European, but my brothers did not. Hmm. My brothers came up like 99% European. So it basically, I didn't get any of the Native American DNA, and he did. So, you know, so there was barely of, any there. Oh, yeah, there was barely any there. I always said, you know, McLean Stevenson used to have a joke that, you know, he was uh, part Indian, but if he had a nosebleed, he was out of the tribe. Yes. And, you know, I knew it was a while ago, but, you know, we have ancestors whose names are like Aha. And stuff like that. Yeah. And um, so they might have just been part uh, part mm-hmm. native. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were they were very close to you know there were a lot of different things that you know they followed the the route that uh, the tribes various tribes had taken when they got. I'm intrigued by that service, but I'm also like hesitant to spend hundred dollars for it to tell me you're you're eighty percent. European, vague European, twenty percent other, and be like, no, oh, that's not helpful at all. No, <laughs> there's you what kind of European there, you are though. There like, were specifics in that, like they, for okay. like for instance, um, they will combine English and Irish or British and Irish because they're so mixed that it's pretty much impossible to you know pull them apart. So they'll they'll include you know British and English, British and Irish together. And they'll include, and they'll 
put uh, German and French together for the same reason, which makes perfect sense. I have a large thing of British and English, and I have a large thing of um, German and French. And, I mean, I know that part of the family came from Alsace, which is sometimes German and it's sometimes French. So it makes perfect sense that those two will... I was totally surprised. I w- There's a large dollop of Scandinavian, which I had no idea was in there. Uh-huh. Um, and there's um, some various um, Southern European. There's general Southern European and there's um, some other stuff. My brother's was weird because he had like a very, very tiny amount of that was identified as Japanese and a very tiny amount that was general Southeast Asian and a tiny amount that was native American. So it was like real weird, Hmm. but, uh, you know, the rest of the, the rest of the stuff was, um, the same, the same as mine with different percentages, but, uh, that's what they do. So now I've told the world what my DNA stuff came up as. Okay. Um, but yeah, use it against you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that it'll, yeah. I'd say but, the standout yeah, scene in, going back to the show, the standout mm. scene is when Mama Polly Walker has that cow cut open above her and she showers in its blood. Mm-hmm. That was that something that was common back then, I wonder. <laughs> Again, blood, worst civilization ever. <laughs> no, I think that was probably pretty it sounds right for the Romans. Um, no, she was praying and everything and sacrifices all the time back then. It's just, yeah, you gotta, you gotta make a sacrifice so you can get what you want or so you can get some sort of reading on such and such a thing or. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) And yeah, there were sacrifices. There was, you know, I hope you were put through, through all kinds of weird, you know, ceremonies and stuff and anything to make your prayers be heard or or the oracles be able to tell you stuff or, you know, whatever. She was doing it to safeguard her son so he'd come home to her. Mm-hmm. And, and it works. So, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Don't knock it, don't knock it until you tried it. That's All right. right. Well, let me, uh, let me see if I can find myself a bull somewhere and uh, some sort of a pit where I can sit under that bull. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> it, Rome, Roman nobility was nothing if not into excess. Yeah, they had a lot of time on their hands. Those slaves. Yeah, they had a lot of. They had a lot of time. They had a lot of money. They had a lot of help. That's why we don't do it today. We just don't have the time and the money to engineer we, such a thing. Otherwise, we would we totally do, do it. We do other kinds of excess, you know. What binging on Netflix? It's hardly the same thing. Average. Yeah. yeah you look at the the people who had the kind of money that the Roman nobility had, and you look at the kind of excess that, you know, just in their buying habits and their, you know, and there's a lot of excess. just doesn't have to do with dead bulls being, you know. What's the name of the guy who was the prisoner, or the name of the actor? Oh, you mean uh, Ray Stevenson? The guy who played yeah, uh, Ray yeah. Stevenson. Yeah, I like him a lot. I just, I remember him from Dexter. He was like... The one uh, good spot in the later seasons that were all crap. Oh, I didn't see the later seasons. I didn't realize he was on that. He was yeah. in season he seven. A, he played like a bad guy, but yeah, he was pretty good in it. Yeah, I wanted yeah. him to play Stannis on Game of Thrones. He was my. Oh, pick. that would have been cool. 
Um, did you did you know who the director of this episode of Rome was? Did we Google that to make yeah, sure? Yeah, it is. I I did okay. look it up. Uh, Michael Apted. Yeah. yeah. Tell, tell us about him. Well, he directed. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Seven Up and all the successive the, the Up uh, series. The Up series. They're really good. Like you guys should watch those. <laughs> have you seen them or heard of them? I've heard of Seven Up. It's a beverage. It's. it's- <laughs> It's a it's a series where they it's a British documentary series where they focus on uh, a bunch of kids uh, in the UK and uh, they're all seven years old at the time. Yeah, and this was back in the sixties, I believe. I think the first. I think they're the exact same age as my dad, so they would have been born in fifty-seven. Yeah, so they basically follow them during uh, their whatever like a period of time while they're seven years old and then seven years with the plan of seven years later coming back and talking to these kids again and they keep doing it every seven years so they've had these same these same group of people every seven years they make another documentary about the same group of people and you get to see where they are in their lives it's really interesting to see like just the 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 just all the different eras that they've lived through in history like uh you know, each decade is like so distinct looking when you see the documentary on it, but because uh, it was made at the time. But uh, it's really interesting, yeah. Check out the mm. Up series, yeah, starting with Seven Up. Yeah, it's really good. It was on Netflix for a while. I don't know if it still is. But. Oh, oh, I'll I'll check it out. Yeah, that reminds so, me, I have a DVD at the library. I have to pick up. Uh, it's a <laughs> documentary by Jonestown. Oh, no. oh. Yeah. I think I've seen it before, but I always like to revisit my cults. That's, <laughs> uh, that's a tough one. Oh, yeah. That's a tough one to even think about, much less watch. Some oh. people like uh, serial killer stuff, and I prefer cult stuff. <laughs> <laughs> cults ending badly. Most do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Um, let's read Harold's feedback. Uh, Matt, we'll have you read this one. Posting it now. For some reason that I've never figured out, Ancient Rome is one of those perennial story concepts that Hollywood keeps returning to. They've been making movies set there since the silent days, i.e. before we learned that the ancient Romans spoke with British accents. Yes, that really bothered me. (laughs) Bothers me every time they do a series on somewhere other than America. They always give people a British accent. Why? Yes, it's stupid. Why? (laughs) They were British actors, that's why. Uh, It's annoying. I hate it. Well, yeah, I, I tried mean, to find like a consensus of what do Romans really sound like, mm-hmm. and I couldn't find like anything definitive. Well, Except they... this one this one person before I'm not going to read everything this person says, but in a Reddit thread, uh, uncorseted Virago says jumping on this because yes, for once my major is relevant. <laughs> <laughs> Latin, isn't it? they would have spoke Latin, wouldn't they? Yeah, they would have been speaking Latin. Yeah, yeah, uh, I. I guess some people are attracted to some of the basic genre elements, like the gladiators and Mortal Kombat and the baths and the lounging by the bath with your bowl of grapes. <laughs> but for me, it has always, always been a yawner. The pilot sure looked like it cost a lot. It had even more extras in costume than Deadwood. How does HBO afford these shows? I thought it was okay, but it felt like it was lacking something. I wasn't particularly caught up in any of the storylines, except maybe the one about the mom who tried to marry her son. Marry her already married daughter to Pompeii, but had it all blow up in her face thanks to, thanks in part to her arrogant smarty pants son. Oh, I I love the arrogant smarty pants son. By the way, just when he's like when when he's uh 
uh, freed from his captors, and he just go, is like schools those two soldiers on what? Yes. <laughs> what? Oh, the <clears throat> that was stuff. a yeah. That was a very effective exposition dump right then. Yeah. That yeah. it yeah. didn't feel forced. It it really yeah. felt natural. Yeah. Um, I, I I like that a lot too. And I just like this whole attitude. Like, all right, let me go now, dumbasses. Let me go. Yeah. You have to. I'm better than you. And they're like, are you? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, yes. <laughs> and this is why. I know that shit. Thank the gods you came. I'm extremely grateful to you. Hi. Listen to me. I order you to release me this instant. Fine way for a slave to talk. You won't get far with a mouth like that on you. I'm no slave. I'm Gaius Octavian of the Julii. Great nephew of Julius Caesar. Gaius who? I am a Roman citizen of noble birth. And I order you to cut these ropes. Say please. Please. <laughs> be assured you will be amply rewarded for your services to me. See how good he talks? He's convincing, I'll give him that. Caesar will prove who I am. Take me to him. Cannot do that as yet. We have orders. What orders? We to retrieve Caesar's stolen eagle. Caesar wouldn't pull a hair for his eagle. You're on a fool's errand. If Caesar doesn't care about the eagle, why did he send us to find it? It would look strange if he made no effort. Actually, losing the eagle is useful to Caesar. Why would that be useful to Caesar? Because Pompey is no deep philosopher. He will take a symbolic loss for a real weakness. Explain. Caesar doesn't want to strike the first blow against an old friend. So he wishes to lure Pompey into attacking him first. Pompey will only do this if he believes Caesar is weak. No. They're as good as brothers, those two. When Julia died, the last true bond between them was cut. Caesar has taken the love of the common people from Pompey, and that was his most prized possession. A battle is inevitable. Did I mention this already, that they age him up next season? Uh, no. Yeah. Like a different actor? Yeah. Not really. I like this guy. Um, oh, and I, I noticed that the music was by Jeff, Jeff Beale of Deadwood and House of Cards. Carnival um, and House of Cards. Or yeah, sorry. Yeah, Carnival, not Deadwood. Uh, was Carnival still going at the time this came on, or did it just finish? Or no, I think it had it had it ended, which is one of the reasons why I was so like skeptical of this. I was like, all right, let's see where you put your money. Where mm-hmm. I could have had another season of Carnival. Yeah. Um, and of course, it's... I was immediately like, I don't like this. Wang. <laughs> 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 So <laughs> um, <laughs> like the penguin there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you turned into the penguin. Oh, and I waddled away. <laughs> waddled away from HBO. <laughs> Harold continues. I I probably would have liked the show better had it stayed more focused on the one family and done a little more to show us how people lived and thought in that place and time and how it is different and not so different from us. Would I watch a second episode? I'm not sure. Possibly I'd give it a second chance to see how it develops. But I'd rather see the money go into a couple of contemporary shows with tighter focus, like The Sopranos or Six Feet Under. This should have been like Sopranos in ancient time. (laughs) I think that's what they were hoping for. (laughs) Well, I mean, Rome is kind of Sopranos and... Well, yeah, they're Italian. (laughs) Steroids. I mean... You know, they, everybody is plotting with everybody else, having to do with everything. Sopranos with swords. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, Rome and its cancellation, its budget, 
kind of killed HBO's interest in period things until Boardwalk Empire five years on. Because all the shows in between that they've done, I mean, they did like John Adams, which is period, but that was just a miniseries. Uh, I'm like just looking at everything else they've done, like just straight up series wise, it was all contemporary stuff like Harold was wanting. I think uh-huh. they were like after Carnival, Deadwood and Rome, they're like, let's stop spending so much money on stuff. Well, did anybody here see uh, I, Claudius? Nope. Nope. Okay. It's, I mean, it's really acting wise and script wise it's really well done it's the um the cost the sets and everything it's obviously done very very cheaply it's a old bbc production with derek jacoby in the lead of claudius and uh it goes talk about characters you don't like um it's tolerable because you like claudius and uh it goes it takes the history of Rome and noble families uh, does not deal with lower classes or slaves or anything other than how it interacts with the royal families. And it follows Claudius from the time he is a child through until he's an old man, until he dies. And it uses him to show all the crazy stuff that happened through these same years, except Claudius lived, I don't know, he to be in his 80s, I'm going to say. And the reason he was able to live through all of this when all of his family was killing each other was because everybody um, underestimated him. He had a stutter. He didn't seem to be very smart. He had a limp. You know, he was, he was kind of a mess. And so nobody considered him a threat. Therefore, he stayed out of spotlight. But um, it does give you like a, a little dramatic history lesson of of all the horrendous things that these people were doing to each other. So, um, I like this time period. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think I Claudius starts like with Augustus or something. I think Augustus has grown up at that point. It's just after Caesar. But uh, it's an interesting time period. I, I like the time period too. I just, uh, but I've never really found anything that I've engaged with. I think if I gave this show a genuine shot and I and went on, I think I would end up liking it. But I think you might. It, yeah, I, I really do think you might because it it does get into, you know, like when um um in the last letter, whose letter was that? It was uh, Harold. Harold. Her- yeah. Yeah, Harold's letter. Who else? In Harold's feedback, he was saying, you know. It would be good if they showed the difference between, um, like, how people lived then and their attitudes compared to now and stuff. And right. they do give the attitudes. I mean, you can see it in the pilot, the the attitude towards um, raping women, for instance, and sex and so forth. Um, they don't have to compare it to now because we can kind of compare it to now. But they do have it there. And... Um, the matter-of-fact way of, like when you were saying before, oh, let's, you know, we just pick certain people and we crucify them until somebody talks, and and then we go and steal it. Um, you know, it does, by telling the stories, it does give you a definite idea of, of what life was like as far as attitudes and such. Sometimes it's not overly pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> 
I thought it was a better pilot than the Spartacus pilot, though. And that show, like that show, looks cheap. They <laughs> they spend money on on some of the sets and some of the costumes in Spartacus, but really a lot of it looks cheap. The arena scenes, Colosseum scenes in Spartacus are hilariously bad. Tell me now, how goes your marriage? Glabius is a good man. You surprise me. I always thought there were difficulties between you. Must you always have a needle in hand? I was only asking. Excuse my curiosity. There were some difficulties in the past, but we overcame them. We love each other very much. Well, that's a shame. Now I feel bad. I thought you'd be overjoyed. What do you mean? Uncle Julius intends to marry you to Pompey Magnus. Uncle Julius. I know Pompey's a touch low in manner, but I'm told he's a perfectly adequate lover. And you should be the first woman in Rome. We shall have to get you divorced from Glabius, obviously, quick as possible. I will not do it. I love my husband. If you do not divorce Glabius willingly, then Caesar will ask Glabius to divorce you, and Glabius will refuse. Doubtless, and then he'll be killed. And does anybody want that to happen? Caesar would not do that. The man's been in Gaul for eight years. He's practically a wild beast. Oh, I liked it when um, when Polly Walker's character—I don't know her name—but she's the mom. She's the she's the one that gets out of the bath full bush to her son, like no sense of modesty. Uh, she says, "Quick as pos." At one point, I'm like, "Oh, that's kind of how people talk now." Where they go, "Oh, that's totes, totes awesome," or "Totes adorbs." <laughs> Soup's cool. She says, "Quick as pos." <clears throat> I know that she and Lindsay Duncan's character have a rivalry. Those two women. Okay. That could be very soapish and fun. The um the mother there that was pimping her daughter out, she reminded me of uh oh Tim Burton's wife. <laughs> oh, Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The actress reminded me of her. I'm trying to remember what that character it starts with an A. I know that, that character's name starts with an A, but I don't know. Oh, remember. it's like uh J- Ju- Julia of the Huh? No, it's Julie died. Julia no. died. Who? Julia was the uh Oh, did she? C- she she was the uh, daughter of Julius of, of Julius Caesar who died yeah, in childbirth. Holly Walker. Um, it was like a a fila or Rose. something. I don't remember. Atia of the Julii. Okay, I knew it started with an A, but is he not perfect? Proper little soldier. He's scared. Nonsense. Roman men are never scared. He's just sad to be leaving his mama. You're not scared, are you, Octavian? No, of course you're not. Time flies. Give me a kiss, my love. Andros? Bring him back safe or I'll use the eyes of your children for beads. Anyway, uh, if there are no other notes, why don't we rate this? Uh, I liked it. Oh, you go ahead. No, go on. Mm. Uh, I liked it just fine. I'm interested in that time period. I agree that it moved a little quick and it was a little bit more hard to follow, especially when you get people in helmets in battle scenes. When everybody, when a bunch of white men have helmets on, it's even harder to <laughs> distinguish them. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, we tried watching the show before. I think we got two or three episodes in, but we stopped. So obviously, it didn't catch us. Um, but I enjoyed. That snooty child, and, and uh, <laughs> I enjoyed the the two bros going on their little mission. And I didn't care for much of the 
politics stuff, though. Uh, I'll give it a 7 out of 10 crucifixions. Okay. Um, uh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, all right. Um, as you sensed from my tone, I didn't really like this very much. Uh, my memory of this is that the first three episodes are all written by the same person, Bruno Heller, who created the show. And I feel like if you don't like how he structures something or writes something, it's going to take more than three episodes before you start digging the show. Like it, I think you need other writers to offer different perspectives for something to become a lot richer. And so I think it probably takes a good four episodes before it gets, before you can really judge it. Um, but since I'm not, I'm only watching the first one, I feel like it didn't put its best foot forward. The characters that I know end up being the real stars of the show that have that great bromance, Titus Polo and Varinas, I feel like they're barely in it. There's too much politics that don't interest me. I liked the mom and the son and the daughter. I really, yeah, I just could, wish I spent more time in Rome with Roman citizens and less with the uh, the political stuff. And I don't know, it just it feels like no matter how much money they throw at ancient Rome, it's always going to look like a set to me. Like, it just doesn't feel uh, lived in enough. Like, they can hire all the extras they want, it still doesn't look filthy and full of squalor. <laughs> it still <laughs> looks like a set, and it looks kind of cheap. Though I know they spent the money on it, it still looks cheap to me. I don't know why. Like I'm not convinced by it. <laughs> All right, everybody on set, shit in a bucket and then throw it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I'm gonna give it six out of ten Smurfs because I liked it when that guy got attacked by those Smurfs. <laughs> Blue Spaniards, they called them, but oh. I call in my notes I called them Smurfs. <laughs> All right, Mel. <laughs> Yeah, this was fine, but uh, yeah, this just these people are just awful. Like I don't know, pawning off your daughter, getting her to divorce her husband that she now loves after working on her relationship, <laughs> and and then marrying her off, him. trying to marry her off to an old dude that you know she's like, oh yeah, like she's free for sex, like grab her while you can, and then he ends up marrying some other lady, like. Uh, just a bunch of shitty people. That's <laughs> the reality of the world, though. Maybe, maybe you just don't. Right now? No, I mean, back then, <laughs> women were property. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, It's awful. I don't want to watch it. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. Yeah, I... Honestly, I would rather read the Asterix comic books than watch this show. Because <laughs> they make Rome, Romans so much more uh, interesting because they kind of make them into buffoons, which we're, is great. <laughs> we're, we're not we're not French. I don't know if they know what Asterix is. Maybe not. Uh, it's this like, uh, comic book that uh, about uh, a, a tribe in Gaul that basically owns uh, the Romans. The Romans keep trying to take over their uh, tribe and they're just like, fuck no, and they have all these magic potions. <laughs> What's it called? Asterix and Obelisk or something? Obelix. Obelix. Ob- Obelix. Yeah. Anyways, delightful. Um, much better than this. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I'll give it a 7 out of 10. Uh, That's high uh, considering what you said. I know, it still was entertaining, but uh, and I suppose I should give it a 7 considering the amount of money that they spent on it. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to feel obligated. <laughs> uh, 7 out of 10 million dollars. Uh. <laughs> Okay, um, I guess that's me. Uh, I, I liked it. I 
I didn't like it as much as I remember liking the series. Um, I did watch the whole series, so obviously that question about would you watch more, um, I did. And um, it is tough. I mean, when you when Mel says they're terrible people, there's a lot of terrible people. Um, then again, a lot of them aren't terrible, but they do terrible things because that was their reality and they didn't even think of them as terrible things. Um, people who weren't in your regular group were, you know, they got killed. Oh, well, um, you need to kill them. Oh, well, there just wasn't a lot of empathy and such for these things. So um, I'm, I'm a little torn, but I'm going to give it uh, an eight out of 10. Um, ah, torture detachments. Because they had said that there was a torture detachment with the third, uh, with the uh, third army or something like that. Yes, which I thought was kind of interesting. You have a torture detachment, okay? Hmm. I sure hope those don't exist anymore, but maybe they do. They probably <laughs> they well, do. They totally Unfortunately, do. yeah, they do. Um, but uh, wouldn't it be nice if our country said no to such things? Um, I think our country does say no. It just doesn't follow that it, rule. <laughs> it. It used to say no. It used to say no, and it used to, you know, it used to aspire to great things. But there's a lot of people in our government who's saying no. We shouldn't aspire to anything good anymore. No, we should break everything. Everything yeah. is bad, and we should break it. Yeah. yeah, America's great, except that it's not. Break it. Yeah, yeah. We need to. We need more torture. That's what to make America great again. Um. So yeah, I'm gonna go with eight out of ten. It definitely could be better. I definitely agree with a lot of the criticisms. Um, but I also know that the series itself is... Um, I definitely watched it and was like, okay, what's... You know, where's the next episode? And uh, I think I was getting on Netflix disc at that point. And uh, so it kept me definitely interested for its full time. Well, that uh, that averages out to a seven. That would average to an eight point six three. As always, you can find uh, the spreadsheets in the in my show notes and uh, on the Facebook group. Just go on Facebook, search for Hooplecast. You'll find it there. Um, I'll have to update all the the ratings again, just so people can see like where are we where are we fall in all these pilots that we've viewed so far. Uh, send us feedback at hooplecast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at hooplecast where I retweet Deadwood things, but I haven't done that in like two months. Do you guys want to know what you're, we're going to be talking about next time? Okay. I do, I do. I'm excited for this one. This is the pilot of uh, one of the shows that I've most enjoyed from the network. It's the pilot of Big Love. Oh, okay. I've heard of it. That's about it. I thought, I thought that was a more recent show. It Well, we're getting up there. Hmm. We are we're getting more current. It's it's 2006. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a show that didn't get a lot of press. And I remember that the first two seasons were good. The third season was almost great. I don't know if it was great, if it was almost great. Season four is pretty much universally despised, though I find some value in it. And it was better in season five. They kind of rebounded at the end, but I hated the, the way it ended. Like the very last episode, I hated the, the ending. I, I really like this show because um, it's got that cult element. It's also a family drama. It's contemporary. There's just there's a lot going on. All the characters are a lot of fun. 
great actors. Matt Mel will appreciate seeing Grace Zabriskie and Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. Oh, Harry Dean Stanton. I know that. Yeah, I'm looking forward. To, I'm really looking forward to watching that with you. Uh, and then we'll also be talking about the first installment of the miniseries Five Days, which is another HBO British collaboration thing. Mm. I guess it's not really a miniseries. It's a. It had two seasons, but uh, don't really know much about it except that it involves a a woman disappearing. Okay. And the like the investigation into into her disappearance. That's the premise of a lot of shows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but this was also 2005, so it predated, I think, a lot of the, these kinds of programs. 2007, I'm sorry. Oh, that's only 10 years ago. There's been a lot of shows about disappearing women. It, and it, it's interesting because they're all different genres. That's like one of the premises for just about every genre kind of show. Procedural, a hospital show, a, doctor, uh, a uh, police show, a... Uh, horror movie, science fiction, fantasy. All right. Well, that's next time. Thanks okay. for joining me. Thank no you. That's it. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, everyone. And Thanks. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I loved hearing that again. It was just so, it was just so like, it's the heartiest fuck you I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. I had forgotten about it, actually. <laughs> When it came up, I was like, oh, right, okay. Uh, this might be the last time we ever get to talk about Deadwood. <laughs> movie never happens. That movie's coming. We can yeah, we talk, still talk about it, but I mean, it's the last time we're, like, covering it. Not allowed to talk about it anymore. And if anyone's listening to this who hasn't listened to our Deadwood episodes, this style of conversation is not how we structured our Deadwood talks like that was scene by scene that was yeah. a full exhaustive breakdown of the episode mm-hmm. it wasn't just whatever came into our heads at any moment like it was structured not like this different format same podcast different format <laughs> yeah we're just jibba jabbing right now <laughs> well fuck you too yeah fuck everyone <laughs> bye 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 well the good times scratched a laugh from the lungs of the young men in a Deadwood saloon in South Dakota afternoon And the old ones by the door with their heads to their chest They told lies about whiskey on a woman's bed Yes, and some tell the story of young Mickey Free He lost an eye to a buck deer in the Tongue River Valley Oh, and some tell the story Of California Joe Who sent word to the black kids There was a mountain of gold And the gold she lay cold in their pockets And the sun she sat down on the tree And they thanked the Lord As he pleases As some flat shoot fool From the east comes a-running With some news that he heard And some St. Joseph paper And it was drinks all around Cause the news he was telling Was the one they'd called crazy Had been caught and been 
Closer so they could hear better. And it says here the crazy horse was killed while he was trying to escape. And it was sometime last September, and it don't give the exact date. And the gold she let go and the sun she sets down on the chain. Is where the white man does as he pleases. Before he goes, he gives the paper to the crow boy who sweeps up the floor. And the gold still lay cold in their pockets, and the sun still sets down on their cheeks. Wants to. 